The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep, Bam going back, looking up, he will watch it fly! And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Go! It's one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Major, major news in the game of baseball today. If you look at one of the teams this offseason who's been all in was the San Diego Padres. The San Diego Padres were like, we're going to get pitching. We're going to get better. We're going to try and take down the Dodgers who have won the division, a record never been done before in the NL West. They've won it eight straight years. They're the defending champs. And they just picked up Trevor Bauer. Shots fired. So if you're the Giants, if you're the D-backs, if you're the Rockies, you've got no chance. They've got so much starting pitching now. Trevor Bauer. And this is something that we have addressed on this show. That in the future... It's smarter to overpay a guy and give him less guaranteed years so you don't get stuck with an Albert Pujols-type contract. This is what the the Dodgers wanted to do with Bryce Harper, but Bryce Harper wanted 13 years. How do you think that deal is going to end up? The Dodgers will overpay three years, $102 million. There's two different opt-outs in his contract, but basically... He'll be there for three years, and then he's off the books. You bought his prime. You're paying for his prime. You're not paying him when he's going to be an old right-handed pitcher. The Dodgers are smart. They only have one player long-term right now under contract, that's Mookie Betts. This is how you run a franchise. I'll never forget being in Japan in 2000. What year was that? 2010? No, 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 no. 2012. And I was I was on the team bus with Mike Crowley, former president of the A's. And I had the conversation. You may have heard me tell the story before. I always said, why don't you just sign guys to one, one, two-year deals and just overpay them? But then you have the flexibility that the guy's not going to be here long term. And he laughed. But that's now what the Dodgers are doing. And it's really, really smart. And now I wonder if this is going to spark a flurry of moves on starting pitchers, guys in the bullpen. Because before you know it, pitchers and catchers are going to report to Arizona. Commander, uh, this broke before we came on the show. And I just start thinking about all the starting pitching. When you got Kershaw and you got Bauer and Walker Bueller. Don't forget David Price is coming back. Uh, Urias, Gingerguard. I mean, they've got so much starting pitching. And we 
we've been asking people, how much are you really going to need? You may need 10 starters. You may need 11 starters to get through a season this year. Because let's face it, all of these pitchers, it's going to be almost two years since they've had a full season. What did you think of the deal coming down today? Trevor Bauer, three years, $102 million going to Los Angeles. Well, after it was announced yesterday that Bauer was going to the Mets, I'm like, wow, Bauer, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman. Then it's like, no, 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 Bauer's not going to the Mets. And I'm like, oh, man, I got bamboozled, hoodwinked, led astray, and deceived by everyone on this. And then it comes out today he's going to the Dodgers. And, man, the first thing I thought of, when because you and I were talking on the phone, and I said Bauer to the Dodgers, and I'm like, Kershaw, Bueller. Price is back. When was the last time you saw a guy that's going to get not only get $40 million, but be the highest paid player in baseball and probably be the number three starter in the, in the rotation? I mean, come on. That's so unfair. It's ridiculous with the, the talent the Dodgers have. Uh, not, you look at their lineup with, you know, you got Bellinger and Betts and Muncie and, you know, no Justin Turner, but that doesn't matter. Corey Seager. They're, they are loaded for this upcoming season because they know the Padres loaded up with all the moves with. Snell and Darvish and everything they did. But, man, just the, Bauer going home to pitch in L.A. And what's that say about the Angels? Now, they made a big yeah. move yesterday. They got Dexter Fowler. That still doesn't help you get 27 outs. But that I, I, If you want to look at this from the A's perspective, this is wonderful. He's not in the American League. He didn't go to the Angels. I mean, that would, going to the Angels would have been bad news. Now you got to face him all the time. So getting him in the National League, that, that's just because that that's the one thing, whether it's going to be the Mets or the Dodgers, that was a win-win for the A's. But there was always, you know, the Angels are always, you know, they're like a submarine. They're they're running silent and then they come out of nowhere and they will have a big signing like no one had. If you remember back Albert Pujols. It was either going to be the Marlins or it was going to be the Cardinals. Nobody saw the Angels. When we were down at the winter meetings, nobody had Rendon going to the Angels. So that's always in the back of my mind, is Artie Marino going to open up that checkbook and make a run at Trevor Bauer? And I'm glad he did it. And I'll tell you what, baseball, if they're smart, the new rivalry that everybody's going to want to watch is the Dodgers and the Padres. I don't want to see Yankees Red Sox 18,000 times again this coming season. Red Sox stink. They're in rebuild mode. The rivalry is not you can they can they can always dislike each other, but watching 4 hours of bad baseball is not what I'm going to want to see on MLB Network or on Fox on a Saturday. Put as many of these Dodger Padre games on national television because that right it's heated. They don't like each other. And they it's like an arms race. Who would have thought? But it's like an arms race. I mean, look at the pitching matchups you're going to have when you're lining up the Dodgers and the Padres. I mean, those pitching matchups are going to be legit. I mean, think about that ginger guard. Where, where does he fit? He throws 100 miles an hour. Where does he fit in? I mean, some of these young pitchers, where, where do they fit in? The Dodgers have so much pitching, and as you will tell us, they've got more coming up from the minor league system. Yeah, they got a bunch of guys. I mean, they have – I mean, they're surrounded – the way that Andrew Friedman and, for a certain extent, Farhan built this system and then Andrew Friedman kind of took over now, 
uh, with everything they're doing down there. It's, it's incredible. The, the young player, it's position players and pitching that they have. And I'm a little offended that you don't want to watch Garrett Richards or uh, Jamison Tyone pitch on Sunday Night Baseball. I'm a little, little taken back that you don't want to see those guys face off 18 times this year. Because uh, ESPN already released, the, I think, the first half of Sunday Night Baseball. Oh. And most of, it's, most of it's, wait for it, Yankees, Red Sox. I think there's a few Cubs, Cardinals. And I think the Dodgers are on there like once, if I remember. This is like a month ago. But Trevor Bauer now, going back to Bauer for a second, is the fourth pitcher to win the Cy Young the year before and change teams the next year in free agency. Joining Mark Davis, Greg Maddox, and Catfish Hunter as the only other guys to ever do that. So uh, Bauer now going home. And he put it out on YouTube and we watched the video. Uh, if you want to play the audio, I have it. It's really good stuff that Bauer, you know, his social media presence is fantastic, and he's going to be in L.A. It's going to be even better. Okay. I think this was on Buster Olney's podcast, Baseball Tonight. The guy who runs ESPN was traveling in his car going from, like, New York back up to Connecticut. So – He's like, Buster, I got all the time in the world. So Buster started going over the Sunday night schedule with him. This guy tried to say, well, there's only so many times we can put certain teams on. And I went, then why am I always seeing Yankees Red Sox? If they're only supposed to be able to be on so many times, according to the contract between ESPN and baseball, why do we see Yankees Red Sox more than anybody? There's no, there's no way... They're not putting them on more than what the probably what the limit is. I, I just it baseball. We need something. I mean, the people in the Northeast need to understand. We need we need a little we need a little something different. And you got to show all these great players, right? We need to see Trout more on national television. I need to see Bauer with the Dodgers. I need to see Fernando Tatis. I just do not need to see Yankees Red Sox eight million times. Sorry, I don't need to see that. I want to see other people. You know, a, I don't care how you feel about us. A's Astros has been spirited. They've played some really good series. And there's no love loss there. We need we need to show other games. That's just my two cents. But um, I have the schedule if you want to hear to some of the games. The first Sunday night baseball game of the year, White Sox Angels. So Mike Trout will be on Sunday night baseball for the first and. That's a good matchup because you got a bunch of young guys that are going to be a Bray you plus all the young guys on the White Sox. I like it. Phillies, Braves the following week. Okay. Uh, Braves are one of the better Braves are a team that are going to have a shot to win it all. Then Braves, Cubs. All right. Padres, Dodgers. There you go. Mets, or sorry, Philly. uh, Yeah, Mets and Phillies. Wow. A lot lot of Phillies out of the gate. Hold on. Phillies, Braves next. Cardinals, Padres, Cubs, Cardinals, Braves, Mets, Braves, Yankees, and then you go to second half. Uh, this is on Thursday, Thursday night baseball. Yankees, Red Sox, Sunday night baseball. Yankees, Red Sox, and then September twelfth. This is just some of them. Uh, Yankees, Mets. So uh, we get to see more of the Padres, Phillies, Cardinals more than we see the San Diego Padres, White Sox, and the reigning World Series champion Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, does anybody else in baseball play? I mean, how, that, where's everybody else? Where is everybody else? You know how many teams you did not mention on that schedule? About, not getting about, national love? About 25 at least. I mean, wow. 
Unbelievable. And then it'll happen, and it happens every – it's been happening every year. All of a sudden, we'll get midway through the season, and everybody will start going, hey, you know, the A's are actually pretty good. Hey, the A's are in first place. We'll go back. Cody does this every year. We'll go back. We'll look at all the predictions, and we'll say, yep, not one person picked the A's, not even for the wild card. And then we'll start seeing the articles in July and August. Well, look at the job Bob Melvin and Billy Bean and David Ford. It's the same thing happens every year. They win 97 games. The next year, people are shocked they win 97 games again. Then they're shocked that they win the division. I just don't get them with you. I don't. I never understood it. Uh, why there's they've been in the playoffs how many times under Billy? Like, isn't it like is it 10 or 11 like times 11? in 20 years or something like yeah. that? It's it's ridiculous, but. Yeah, back to Bauer and the Dodgers. Um, good for baseball, man. It's good to see the uh, – remember a couple of years ago when Brian Cashman called the Yankees a fully operational Death Star? Uh, yeah, sure. Sure that you are when Stanton and Judge can't stay on the field, and now all of a sudden they're they're not lifting as many weights now is what I, I heard they're doing this offseason. So maybe that will keep them healthy. The, the Dodgers are a fully operational Death Star as I channel my inner Star Wars fandom here. That's what they are. They have everything. Uh, maybe their bullpen's a little shaky with Kenley Jansen, but they they brought back Blake Trinan. Uh, they still have uh, Bruce Starr Gratterall that can be a closer for them. They will be fine. Uh, they're going to figure things out. They're going to win the AL the a, uh, the NL West for the what ninth straight time. I'm calling it already right now. Uh, sorry, Bob Townsend. I hope he still wants to do this uh, this agreement on who's going to win that division. But I'm I'm still taking the Dodgers, and I think they're going to win not easily, but they're going to. I mean, with Bauer now, it's he's going to be their number three starter on paper right now. Still crazy that he's making the most money in baseball, and he's going to be potentially the number three starter on that staff. And they're going to win a ton of games because you've got – I mean, look at their division. I mean, we have, we have – we, we, what are the Giants going to look like? What are the Rockies going to look like? What are the D-backs going to look like? You know, I, I, I got to tell you, the, the the big story, obviously, in baseball, we'll get, we'll get to the uh, negotiations in a second, but – we we were kind of all over this, that Nolan Arenado was not going to be a career Rocky. That was just, the writing was on the wall. Like, I thought, I mean, my prediction was he would go to, like, Texas, where they're looking, you know, new ballpark. You, you got to put some sizzle on that stake. I did not see the St. Louis Cardinals in this potential deal but you got to give the st louis cardinals a lot of um a lot of love they've gone out and signed paul goldschmidt they traded for him and now they trade for nolan arenado i i i can't tell you how impressed i am with with the st louis cardinals you know in, in a climate where so many teams are not looking to sign people. They're not being aggressive unless you are, I don't know, unless you're the the Blue Jays, the Padres, or the White Sox. Um, maybe you could say a little bit the Mets. But the fact that you go out and you say, you know what? We're going to go and get one of the best first basemen. Now we're going to go get one of the best third basemen. I don't know about you, Cody, but that was just, you want, you want to talk about cojones. I was very, very impressed by the St. Louis Cardinals as so many of these teams are about, 
oh, we're going to develop and we're going to draft. We're gonna, no, we're, you know what? We're going to go take best players and we're going to try and win a championship. I uh, Hats off to the St. Louis Cardinals. I thought that was a huge deal. Well, this is not what the third, second time in three years they've gone on taking the best player in the NL West essentially away, uh, or yeah. one of the best. They took Goldschmidt, what, three years ago, and then now Arnado this year. Uh, it's a great trade for them. I, I thought, that, like I mentioned to you last year, I remember we talked about it a little bit if he could get moved, and I felt like the Cardinals would be a good landing spot because they always have money, a little bit of money to spend, and they're looking for players to upgrade their positions. And when they did that that weird trade where they sent Randy Arozarena and Jose Martinez to the Rays for Joey, uh, Joey Libertori, no relation, just kidding. It's Matthew Libertori, uh, no relation to Joey, our coworker. He's one of the top pitching prospects in baseball, and they acquired him. I thought, this is going to be a guy that the Rockies would want for Nolan Arnauto because they never have pitching. Well, lo and behold, none of the Cardinals' top couple prospects are even in that trade, and the Rockies are paying $50 million to the Cardinals to go along with Nolan Arnauto. They're paying $50 million for Arnauto to play against them. So... Just think about that for a second. You sent your best player away and $50 million to play against you. Um, it's a great move for St. Louis in a division that is not very good. Uh, they are, I think, the clear favorites not to win that division. Cubs aren't really planning on doing anything, even though they did sign Jock Peterson and Trevor Williams over the weekend. Brewers, you never know. Pirates are rebuilding. And the Reds were supposed to be all in for it last year, and now they're trying to look like they're going to rebuild again or shed some salary. So Cardinals division to win. Great trade. I don't know what the Rockies are doing, and now these rumors of, hey, they're going to try to resign Trevor Story. Why? Why would you try to resign him? Go full all-in, rebuild, and get what you can for it and move on from Story. It is truly bizarre. I don't know, and maybe we could research it. I don't know how many times in baseball history where you sign a player and you say, this is our franchise guy, right? He's a statue kind of guy. And then you end up fighting with him and you end up trading him, what, two years removed from signing that contract? Like, I, I, I when has that happened? Homegrown player, you drafted him, you brought him up, fan favorite, he seems like a really nice guy. No one's got anything bad to say about him. It's not like he's like, a, you know, there's been certain guys that are hard to deal with and that they just wear out their welcome. It doesn't seem like he's that kind of guy. I just, I don't, I don't get, I don't understand it. Like, how do you have a press conference and you ink a guy to, uh, what was his deal, eight years? Yeah, eight for was it eight for two sixty? Apparently, in this new deal, he's getting an additional year added on, and he's going to keep his opt outs and his no trade clause. Uh, that's like, a pretty good deal. How do you sign a guy to an eight year contract? You call him a franchise guy, and then you turn around and trade him. I mean, what are you doing? Like, like business wise. What, 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 I don't know what you accomplished with this. And as you said, they're still paying a boatload of money on the contract. I mean, it's, this is like, this is like robbery for the St. Louis Cardinals. So you're going to get one of the premier players. I mean, as much as we love Chapman, Arnauto is one of the best third basemen in the game, if not the best third baseman in the game. And you're getting him and they're paying part of the contract? That's insane. 
and you're adding him to that division where I said it's it's open and I just like when you said about when is the last time you saw this happen where a guy signed a deal and a few years later he was traded. Uh, the A Rod one comes to mind, but he wasn't a homegrown player with the Rangers. Yeah, that but, was a different ball. Yeah, I don't. I'm, if you're thinking of homegrown players that you resigned and then you traded, I really don't. I can't really think of one off the top of my head. This happened more recently. Yeah, you, it'd have to be a guy that you drafted, you brought up from the minor leagues, you then signed him to a record deal, and then trade him, like. That's net, like that'd be like the Baltimore Orioles trading Cal Ripken Jr. or the Minnesota Twins trading Kirby Puckett or the New York Yankees trading Derek Jeter. Like who does this? Well, remember- I mean, this is where the commissioner's office. But wouldn't you say this is where the commissioner's office really has to, like, okay, what are we doing here? Like this is not this. I can guarantee you is not good for the game. I believe the same GM, it's uh, Jeff Burdich. He was the GM when they traded Troy Tolowitzki a few years ago, too, to the Blue Jays. So he traded him and Arnauto, two future or two faces of your franchise, away in a span of, what, five years? Six years? Whatever that Tolo trade was when he went to the Blue Jays. And then you got Trevor Story lurking, who's a free agent after this upcoming season, and you don't know what's going to happen. And the Rockies uh, just if, – If they trade him, I mean, what are we talking about? Yeah, especially if you don't get anything like that Arnauto trade. I know that the the Cardinals had to take on some money, and I'll figure all that part out. But to not get any of their top guys back is a little weird. But I mean, who knows? But and then you're going to pitch. If you're a pitching prospect, you're going to pitch at cores where historically pitchers go uh, pretty much anymore go to die. Their careers do, or their their numbers and, and go inflate so much pitching in the uh, altitude. Uh, there's been like one pitcher that's been good there now was Ubaldo Jimenez that one season where he was really good. And then, like, name me a guy that was – like, Kyle Freeland was good a couple years ago, and then he's hey, been nowhere Mike, since. Mike, Mike Hampton liked the school districts. That's true. I mean, that was – big. that's the biggest reason why he signed there. So think about this. If you're the Cardinals, how much did you say that the, the, the Rockies are pitching in, 50 million? Yeah, 50 mil, you know, just pocket change. So essentially, you got the premier third baseman in the game, and you're only having to pay him 150 million. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I don't know the exact number, but I get what you're saying. Like that's you know what I'm saying. It's like it's like let's just call it 150. It could be a little more, a little less, whatever it is. I mean, think about Kristen Yelich signed for over 200 million, and people said that was a deal for the Brewers. You're telling me I now get Arenado for around 150? I'm getting the guy that's a platinum gold glove winner. I'm getting a guy that hits jacks. I'm getting a guy that comes to compete every day, ready to rock. I'm getting him for 150? That's, I mean, come on. That's a deal. And I didn't have to give, and I gave up, I gave up to some guys for him. I I mean, if I'm the commissioner of baseball, I, I I'm sitting back on yeah this ain't, this this ain't great for our game when you got franchise players moving for nothing. Yeah, and you're and you're hoping that Arnado it continues the uh, the trend of the DJ LeMahieu started when you leave Coors Field and you continue your success because everyone says oh he hit at Coors in his career. This is Arnado's career stats. He's a 39 WAR, 293 average, 235 homers. 760 homers and 800 and an 890 OPS. Now at cores, he's hitting 322, 136 homers, 
461 runs batted in, and a 985 OPS. Like I said, this is at Coors Field. On the road, 263, 99 homers, 299 runs batted in, and a 793 OPS for his career so far in his splits. So you're hoping maybe he can continue that hitting at Bush Stadium where he's a career 278 hitter with five homers and 17 RBIs. So it's going to be interesting. He is probably the premier third baseman in baseball still right now uh, for what he does defensively and offensively. And he's going to be a great add to that Cardinals lineup that already has Goldschmidt and Paul DeYoung. And um, I'm, why am I blanking on um, their off- one of their outfielders is pretty pretty good. Uh, D- Dylan Carlson is going to be a good player. They have some really nice pieces on that lineup to go along with their pitching. They're going to be the favorite in the NL Central for sure. Well, the thing for me that I've learned over the years, because you don't really think about it, but once you start talking to people that, and I really found this out, um, going to Denver, how hard it is to play in altitude. So if you talk to anybody that played for the Nuggets, the Avalanche, Broncos, Rockies, it is hard to play in elevation. I didn't know this. I've never lived in elevation. I've always lived at sea level. But they will tell you how hard it is on your body to play in elevation. And that's why when people go, oh, but Larry Walker, look what he did at Coors Field or Todd Helton. People who live there and play there will tell you, hey, Jack, it's not easy. And it's not easy playing in elevation. And then when you go on the road, you're not playing in elevation. I didn't realize how hard, and you know, there's a reason why boxers like Oscar De La Hoya would always go to Big Bear and train because it's so tough on your body and you, you know, you want to build up the stamina in your lungs. So I think for Arnado, Cody, getting off the mountain will probably do wonders for his body and not having, you know, you know, you go to Coors Field now only for a three game set instead of playing. 81 games there and living there and you know players for the Rockies will tell you when when you go on the road it's so I mean life is just so different and having been to Denver and I've actually been to Breckenridge which is even higher like I went I once went to Breckenridge with a group and half the people got altitude sickness and couldn't like leave their room I mean elevation's no joke so I think for Arenado, probably I would bet getting off the mountain, this is going to be good for his career long-term. Matt, good to hear your voice. How you doing? Chris, doing great, man. Um, I'm, we, uh, you know, we all have our complaints about where we are physically. Mine happens to be that uh, Snowmageddon has consumed the Northeast. And I've, I've been out here, I've been living out here now for over 10 years, and I've never seen a snow event like this one. It's not going to end for another 24 hours. We're about halfway through it, and we have uh, about a foot and a half on the ground right now where we are. So uh, it's crazy. I've never seen this kind of snow before. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. I mean, you're, you, you grew up in Northern California. My God, you lived in San Diego for years. Uh, I was just happy that we got to eat outside at a restaurant last uh, on Saturday, which was a big thing for my family. Uh, I, I don't know how you go from being a – of course, you went to USC. Uh, you go from being a California guy to now you're in all this snow. How do you do that? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not handling it real well. <laughs> I, I never do. I mean, I'm out there with the shovel, and my wife is from the Northeast. She is much 
uh, stronger and much more positive than I am. The first sign of coldness in the fingers and I'm out. I'm like, you know, honey, I love you, but I'm, I'm going in. I, I, I can't shovel anymore. And it's, by the way, you just shovel in, in the next half an hour. It's the path that you cleared and groomed is gone. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing well. Yeah, this isn't uh, you in shorts and flip flop flip flops on the USC campus. <laughs> no, no, far cry from that. You know, at the age of fifty three, my shorts and flip flop days are winding down anyway, so I might as well put on some snow pants and be inside. What do you make of? I, I just I had a hard time thinking. Like, if the owners are going to offer full pay, why would you only say one fifty four and not one hundred and sixty two? I mean, I'm not the greatest negotiator of all time. I just found that, like, we're going to skip eight to ten games. Like, I, I didn't get that. How did, how did you read that? Well, for somebody like me who's been advocating a return to 154 or 153 for a long time, um, that was music to my ears. I think those extra off days in the schedule, in a you know, forget about the, the concerns over the current climate with the pandemic. It's just a much more sensible schedule to play – 153 or 154 over 180 days as opposed to 162 and 180 days which is the standard season that's 18 days off over six months that's three days off a month it's just not right it's just what you're asking is just ridiculous uh but back to your question i I think there are there is a lot of gamesmanship taking place here between the two sides uh, the owners carrot that the end of the rainbow for the owners is an expanded playoff format, which brings in a treasure trove of cash for the owners. The players association wants a piece of that pie. So the owners are dangling. Okay. We'll give you your universal DH. That's, uh, you know, uh, 20 to 25 roster spots across the American league that might not have existed ordinarily. And usually those are high paid prices. So you're going to bring up the median salaries everywhere. You're going to get that. The owners uh, know that they're going to make more with expanded playoffs. So does the Players Association. So right now, the number of games, um, discussions of full pay versus prorated pay, it's, it's all lending toward the, the discussion for a new collective bargaining agreement, which is needed because we're in the last year in 2021 it's a six-year cycle this is year six um so you know both sides are couching health and safety concerns uh in in their real end game which is getting a cba negotiated that's to the liking of their constituents and i hate the fact that a global pandemic is being used as a negotiating chip for other business but it is and i think that that's kind of a broad answer to your question, but I think that's why we're hearing all these games being played on the number of scheduled games, uh, the, the months of the season. We're going to, you know, push it back by a month and start on April 28th. All that makes sense given the condition of the world right now. But I think both sides have their eye on a new CBA and how it can it can best serve their side. And and it's always so weird, Matt, that like it, it's they don't take the public into consideration because we're about to have a Super Bowl. You know, we just had a national championship game. We're watching the, you know, here in the Bay Area, we're watching the Golden State Warriors. We're watching the San Jose Sharks. 
it, 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 it's like baseball. You need to start on time and you need to go because if you don't, we're going to be looking at all these other sports and then we're going to turn to look at you and go, why, why are they able to play and you aren't? Yeah. Um, there's, there's some truth to that, but I will say that, you know, now that the NHL's up, now that the NBA's up, do we really remember that they all started super late? Not really. And they all started late. Um, those sports were supposed to start in October. So if baseball scheduled to start on what it was it March 30th or April 1st, if they start at the end of April, heck, I would even advocate the end of May makes sense. That's okay by me, especially if it means that extra time allowing for fans to be in ballparks, and that might happen, uh, especially if that extra time means getting games in without cancellation because there's herd immunity vis-a-vis -vis the vaccine. I think it's okay to wait a little bit as long as you can play cleanly and get to a World Series. What has this offseason been like for you guys at the network? It's been weird. I mean, uh, we are, we're down to a really small group of people that can physically enter the premises. And uh, we've done, you know, I do the mornings there, uh, hot stove with Harold Reynolds, and, and we, do, uh, we do our show from home a lot. We, we're all equipped now with home studios. The quality is great. It's super convenient, but nothing beats being in the studio to look at the people you're working with. And it's just a lot easier to execute your business that way when you're physically present. So I, I never thought that I'd be a guy complaining about getting to work at home, but I'd much rather go into the studio. And it's been odd. So you're used to seeing hundreds of people at your workplace, and we see handfuls now. So it's weird. And we're reporting on things like, uh, you know, pandemic ramifications and collective bargaining agreement. I would just rather talk about how much we love baseball and players and extraordinary feats of athleticism and interesting roster movement. But instead, we talk about a lot of business-related stuff now, and that's that's just the way it is. I never thought I would miss the Oakland Coliseum as much as I do as someone that's worked around the A's and the Raiders for all these years. I, I, I really took it for granted. I mean, I have not been, it's been over a year. Like we were talking about it the last, you know, cause Gavin Newsom, our governor wanted to keep everybody out of the ballpark. So we've done everything from our home studios. I mean, the last baseball game I went to Matt was spring training last year. That's how long ago it's been since I've actually been at a game. I mean, that's crazy. I miss the Coliseum. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean, uh, look, I was at the ballpark once last year, and it was for the postseason. We did MLB Network does uh, postseason games, and uh, so I had a a game out of the Marlins Braves series, uh, and the next day I had a game that final game between the Dodgers and Padres, the two division series games, and um, it was weird. It was really weird being in the ballpark, especially considering. That, that the experience was real similar to doing a game from a, uh, a studio. You do have your panoramic vision back if you're at the ballpark, but we didn't have access to the field. We didn't have access to the clubhouses. So in, in a sense, we were just calling the game off the monitors anyway, sitting up in the booth. At least you could see the field. You got better sense for what was happening during the game, but the access to the actual information was cut off and, and I get it for it's understandable. We're not supposed to be down there with them. And, and we, we see on TV the great lengths that field reporters have to go to to interview people after a game, whether it's Fox or ESPN or any place like they're, they're standing a zip code apart, 
they've got microphones and headsets on and it looks weird and it is weird, but it's just how it has to be for now. You know, when I think about the A's, obviously there's a lot of questions up the middle, what's going to happen at shortstop and second base, but you know, it, it always reverts back to this is what Billy Bean's been doing for over 20 years. And half the time the A's make it to the postseason under Billy Bean. And when I look around the, you know, and, and throw in David Force, also our general manager, when you look around the AL West, I, I know there's some questions, but I still see, and I'm wondering what, what you guys are saying there at the network, I still see the A's as the favorite in the West. How do you see it? Yeah, I, I wouldn't, you know, it's a little closer perhaps than it, than it was the last year or so in my mind, if only because the A's offseason has been defined by departures exclusively. And, you know, whether you're talking about LaStella going across the bay, uh, the Simeon thing really, really hurts. And I know A's fans feel the same about that. Losing Robbie Grossman, like he was a better player than a lot of people outside of Oakland understood for the A's. He was the guy for me that really connected the lineup. Um, maybe Fires comes back. I know he's expressed a desire to return, but so far there have been no ads and all departures. So even though Houston isn't what they were a few years ago, and certainly not now with Springer gone, even though the Angels still need pitching like crazy, despite uh, trading for Alex Cobb today, unless Trevor Bauer signs someplace else in the AL West, then I kind of agree. You know, the A's have to be installed as the favorites. And if you look at the betting angle, uh, the all the futures advanced stuff where you can bet division winners, the A's are the favorite in the AL West. But, you know, Seattle hasn't closed the gap yet, nor has the Rangers. So to your point, yeah, the A's are probably the favorites despite all the guys that have bolted. You know, you think about the money that actually has been spent this offseason. I, 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 I guarantee that we, we would have never said, you know what? I think the biggest spenders are going to be the Padres and the Blue Jays. But, Matt, <laughs> I mean, they, 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 these two franchises, they look to be all in. Yeah, they do. And, and think about, in the, in, in the case of the Padres, think about what their load-up has done to the other teams in the division. I'm not sure if the Rockies would be uh, dealing Nolan Arenado as they have if they thought there was more of a chance that they might be the next best team in the division behind the Dodgers, but they're clearly not. So, so they get rid of a franchise guy, a legacy player for a return package that's still undefined and for fans won't be enough regardless of who you throw in it. Uh, same with the Diamondbacks. I, the Diamondbacks are not I don't think they scare anybody, and, and nobody's loading up between the other teams in the division. Uh, the, the Giants have made some nice little ads, but the Giants, Diamondbacks, and Rockies, it's almost like it's a go-get-them-in-the-next-three-years in cycle they're in because they know that they're talent for talent, they're not going to catch either one of those teams. You know, the Padres have spent to beat the Dodgers this year. I don't care what anybody says, but I mean, if they don't finish ahead of the Dodgers, then it's a – it's a, a mission that they failed to accomplish because, I mean, my heavens, if you bring in only Darvish or Snell in one off season, you've really done a lot. But to add both of those guys in the off season, it's crazy. If we had suggested that any time in the last couple of years, that both of those guys had landed San Diego in the same winter, you'd have thought we were nuts. <laughs> I know. And, 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 and the big question is, is it enough? I mean, do they have enough to catch the Dodgers who, 
uh, Matt, let's face it, they're like on a, a, a mid-90s Atlanta Braves run where they've won the division eight straight years. I mean, the Braves did, what, 14? I mean, to win your division eight straight years is amazing. It is, and it, 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 it does say, it says a lot about the Dodgers, certainly not to detract from what they've accomplished, but the, the rest of that division is not that good and hasn't been that good for a while. Arizona and, and Colorado, they have these spike years where they're good enough to get to a division series or a wild card and no further. Uh, the Padres were that team last year. The Giants have really floundered the last couple of years. Um, it's It's been the Dodgers to lose, and they go run roughshod over everybody, and in part based on getting fat against your own division, they put up 95 to 100 win regular seasons and then roll. I mean, they're they're good. They've done everything right. They've added the right players, guys like Max Muncy. I know that still pains A's fans as it does me, but you add a guy like that who has basically no cost uh, and you strike gold. And there've been guys like that. Chris Taylor was another one who was a Mariners discard that the Dodgers turned into a great player. They spend the right money on the big ticket guys. They've drafted and developed, you know, Seager, et cetera, that whole group that's homegrown. Then you go and you trade for bets. I mean, they've done everything right, and and they've been helped by a, a poor division. Let's end on this, going back to your NFL days, and we're about the same age, and growing up, you know, everybody kind of had their time, whether it's Raiders, Niners, Giants, Redskins, you know, everybody kind of had. But the fact that Tom Brady, it, there's been 55 Super Bowls, and he's played in 10 of them, I mean, my God, man! I mean, just the run for this guy—it's just—it's—it's it's just incredible. How do you see the Super Bowl? Uh, I like the Chiefs. I'll lay the three um, total at fifty-six, and everybody jumps on the overs for big, uh, big games like this with widespread appeal, and that—that's baked into the, tum- the the total. So I like the Chiefs and the under in this. Uh, I don't see a scenario where the Chiefs lose. I just don't. Brady can have the day of his life, and I just don't think Mahomes can be stopped. There's so much more weaponry in the Chiefs' attack. And um, to your point about Brady, it's amazing, but I, I think this one belongs to the Chiefs. That's just my guess. Well, I got I got to thank you for what you do on the network. You know, we watch it every single morning. And, you know, one of the things I love about Harold Reynolds is the fact that you know he truly loves the game. And you guys, the passion that you guys have for the game, it's so entertaining. So thank you for what you do. You make my mornings far better here on the West Coast. Uh, it's kind of you to say, Chris. I appreciate the kind words. And uh, just one last football note, because I'm because this is an Oakland-based thing. Tom Brady may have played in 10 of 55 Super Bowls, but um, favorite and best ever are different conversations. And if Tom Brady's the best ever, uh, Ken Stabler will never not be my favorite quarterback of all time. How about my guy, Jim Plunkett out of San Jose? Love him. Love Jim Plunkett. He is a really close one a, but for me, it was, I, it was the snake, man. He was my guy. Can you imagine back in the day where Joe Namath and Kenny Stabler were on the same team at Alabama, what that would have been like? Cannot imagine there would have been enough, enough beer in the, in the, in the clubhouse refrigerator for those two kids. No chance. <laughs> I can't even imagine. What, I mean, to have those two guys at the same college, 
uh, running the town would have just been incredible. Man, hey, thank you. Uh, we always appreciate it. You are the best. We love what you do. Uh, watching you every single morning. And be safe and uh, stay warm there on the East Coast. All right, Chris. Good talking, man. See you later. Sarah joins us here from New York. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm looking outside at basically a blizzard and no better time to talk baseball. I was telling Cody that last night when he uh, reached out and yeah, I'm doing doing well, staying warm. How about you guys? Uh, let's see. It's like 60 something degrees here. <laughs> uh, I'll be teeing off tomorrow at uh, 1050. Yeah, we had Matt Matt's version on earlier and mm-hmm. he talked, and, you know, he's a California guy. He's and he's talking about the snow. You guys are getting pounded by snow right now. Yeah, like more than a foot of snow. It's one of the bigger projections I've ever seen for like New York City and certainly that I can remember, uh, you know, in the last few years. But it's not just the snow. Like I live on the 14th floor of a building and it's the wind. Like I was flinching hearing the wind a little bit earlier. So if you see that, don't be alarmed. It's just me being a scaredy cat. So, (laughs) I mean, I I mean, like, like, what do you do? when you have weather like this, do you just hang out inside? Do you not go outside? Because it's, it's, it sounds dangerous outside. Yeah, definitely a stay inside all day kind of day. And obviously uh, the fact that, you know, none of us are going into work or anything else just makes it easier. I think this would have been a snow day from work no matter what, but uh, definitely, definitely today. And looking out the window, I haven't seen a whole lot of people going out, which is good, you know, stay inside, stay safe. And during COVID, yet another reason to stay indoors. You know, when you look at this upcoming season, we know just what a huge baseball fan you are. What what are you looking forward to? What's getting you excited about 2021? I'm tired of negativity. What are you looking forward to? <laughs> you have the per- perfect person to talk to. If I can say that about myself, I don't usually say those things about myself, but I'm excited for everything. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto. I I mean, I've been having this conversation back and forth recently about whether Juan Soto is the number two player in baseball. And it's literally, he's either number two or number three. No disrespect whatsoever to Mookie Betts. And I know we're on California airwaves and I know we're not on Dodger airwaves, but I'm, I mean, it's a tie, but it's crazy to me that it's a tie. And obviously Mookie is better defensively, but Juan Soto somehow just does not get quite enough respect and coverage yet for just how good he is and just how good he is at a young age. So I've been talking about him and stressing myself out about this Juan Soto and Mookie Betts question I've created in my head recently. So that's definitely something I'm very excited just to watch both of them. Um, All of these young players in baseball. I mean, I'm excited for Matt Chapman to be back. I'm excited to see him making plays at third base. I mean, you name it, I am excited for it. Just, we we knew the relationship was not good. It's just, for me, you don't normally have a franchise player, sign that franchise player to a record contract, and then two years later say, see you later, we're trading you. I mean, how do you, and, and not only did they trade their franchise player, the Rockies and Nolan Arenado, they're paying a boatload of money to the St. Louis Cardinals it's just like, it just seems like such a bad business decision. It's so tough. I mean, my biggest takeaway from all of this is just how hard it is to build a team in Colorado. And that's not to give anyone any sort of credit or say that there isn't, you know, there are certainly things worth discussing 
or maybe even blame worth doling out with the deal or with how all of that happened. But you cannot get an ace pitcher to agree to pitch there. You just can't. You're never going to be able to lure them in the free agency. The closest they came was Mike Hampton. He had one bad year and they traded him to the Braves. And to me, until you can find a way to do that in that thin air or anything else, these things will continue to happen. This may be a specific of this front office or these individuals, but the point is that if you can't get elite pitching there, I just don't know how you build a winner. And if you can't build a winner, how do you sustain having good players, having franchise players, and even sustain a second place NL West type of team, let alone let the Dodgers be. Uh, So, I mean, my biggest takeaway is that, but obviously it's just, you know, it's shocking to see the turnaround. I remember watching the press conference in Arizona, watching that view of him up at that, uh, at that table and to be from there to here, where we're waiting for this trade to be finalized, but this is on the table, this is going to happen uh, in such a short span is really, really something. And, I, you know, you got to give the Cardinals a lot of credit. You know, if you go out and you take on Paul Goldschmidt, now you're taking on yeah. Arnauto. I mean, you're showing that it, you're a player. And, and, and I try and stress to, to our fan base, you know, how big Cardinal Nation is. I mean, it's a they are the... They are the Midwest team and all the way down like uh, KMOX is such a big signal. I mean, they've got a huge fan base in Texas. I mean, in the South. So uh, the Cardinals are they're going for it. And I, I and, and I applaud them. I mean, they, they now they're corners. You got Goldschmidt, Arnato. That's pretty impressive. Absolutely. And that division is so winnable, which isn't to say that you shouldn't make a move like this. You absolutely should. If you have an opportunity to get Nolan Arenado, you get Nolan Arenado. But I mean, as of right now, the top projected team in that division, and keep in mind that because the trade isn't official yet, they can't factor him in onto the Cardinals roster yet. But as of right now, no team in that division is projected to be above 500 on fan graphs. The highest projected winning percentage is the Brewers at 496, and the Cardinals are pretty close behind at 473. And I'm expecting that to go over 500 once Arenado is officially on the roster and part of the calculations. But the point is that we've seen that the teams in that division, for the most part, are not going for it. And I would say that entering the season, even if they hadn't added him, they would have been my pick to win that division because to your point about the Cardinals, in addition to all of the fans and being that team in the Midwest, they just have the, I mean, the Cardinal way, right? There's just something about them where when there's no team that really seems like they're going to win that division, somehow you just pick the Cardinals, you're going to be right. And given that, and then adding this all-star, this defensive wizard, this power hitter, I mean, they're going to be good. I still think that, you know, the teams on the coasts are probably a little bit better as it stands right now, only because I think there are a lot of questions with the Cardinals pitching behind maybe Jack Flaherty. But, I mean, absolutely the move, and you have him for a while. I know there's the opt-outs, we'll see, but, you know, that seems like the type of team where you go there, you have the opt-outs, the only opting out you might do is to restructure the contract. I, I don't see a lot of guys go play there and choose to go somewhere else. Yeah, we've seen it over the years, you know, whether, you know, we talked about it earlier, if you're, you know, Holiday, McGuire, I mean, guys go there and they fall in love because it's such a great baseball city and they have such a, a fantastic fan base. You look at all the champions, championships, you look at all the Hall of Famers and, uh, 
it's going to be interesting, also going to be interesting, and I wanted to get your opinion on this, on just how many few teams are actually going for it. So it's like there's like a handful. Like what are the A's on fan graphs? What do you got them at? Uh, they are at a 518 winning percentage just behind the Angels, 524. It's interesting. This is very high on the Angels. I noticed that a while back. And the Astros at 549, which is probably bringing back Brantley because uh, they were below previously. Yeah, every year we got to deal with this, Sarah. Every year, everybody's talking about the Angels. And every year I've been saying, uh, explain to me how they're going to get 27 outs on a daily basis. I don't see it. Yeah, I I mean, I completely agree. I I feel like I've been saying for the last three off seasons, at least now, that they need a high-priced marquee starting pitcher. And, you know, they made another trade today. They traded for Alex Cobb, and it seems pretty clear that they're addressing their pitching this offseason with incremental moves, and a couple of them. You know, uh, they signed Jose Quintana, and they've done a couple other things like that. I, I don't necessarily think that's a division-winning staff, though. And and I want to see Mike Trout in the playoffs. I want to see Mike Trout deep in the playoffs. And I apologize to the A's fans, but I really do. And Anthony Rendon, for that matter, and Shohei Otani. And – It's just such a shame that they haven't had the pitching to back that up yet. And I agree. I I still don't see it. And I'm, I'm interested in a little bit more of the ins and outs of what is giving them this slight edge over the A's right now. Cause to me, that's probably a toss up, but for different reasons, I, I don't think it's coming from the pitching staff for the A's, but You know, we'll see. I don't know if the Astros are going to be as good as this is saying either. Uh, This has them at like the sixth best team in baseball. I I think they're kind of in the echelon below that at this point. But it's an interesting division. I mean, it it was a really fun division the last few years just with the Astros and A's. And it feels like it's a little bit of a step back now. Maybe three teams in there, but I don't know who is the clear favorite there. I don't know what you're hearing back there in New York uh, or what your colleagues, MLB.com or MLB Network. It's just, it's February 1st, okay? Pitchers and catchers are going to report soon. We still don't know the rules. We don't know about universal DH. We don't know roster size. We don't know about the minor leagues. We've got well over, I think we got over 200 free agents out there. There are so many questions about this season when everybody, I keep saying this, the Super Bowl's going on, PGA Tour, NBA, everybody else has figured it out. Why are we sitting here on February 1st and we still have more questions than answers? You know, I really don't know. I mean, what I've seen lately, and I know uh, some of the national reporters at a couple different outlets have mentioned this in the last few days with obviously rumors of a deals being sent back and forth and those conversations happening is that, you know, if there isn't a decision with all of this, that it just proceeds as planned, right? So there would not be an NLDH and we would not have, I don't think any of those rules um, that were instituted last year, because that was just a one year, uh, you know, one year COVID deal or whatever you want to say. But yeah, you know, I I certainly for the good of those free agents would certainly like to know. I mean, you know, I keep thinking of Marcelo Zuna and Nelson Cruz, uh, whose market expands by 15 teams, if there is an expectation of a DH in the NL this year. And obviously, as it stands right now, their market is pretty much the American League teams. Ozuna could play in left field. I think most teams wouldn't want him there. So that's why he's more in that conversation. 
but uh, you know, we'll see what all happens. Uh, but I, you know, I just want to watch baseball. Yeah. And usually I'm pro player, but in the last year and a half, I'm not. And I, it, it, this conspiracy theory that they're trying to float, that if you expand the playoffs, owners are not going to want to win as many games. I, it's just, it's just, it's ludicrous. And everything that the owners are presenting to the players is pro player. A universal DH means more jobs. Expanded playoffs means more chances at a world series and making more money as players in the postseason. It's not like they're trying to like cut roster spots. Everything that the owners are giving the players right now should be looked at as pro player. Wouldn't you agree? I think so. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of, you know, the way these things are worded on the pieces of paper, the email docs that go back and forth. And, you know, I assume there's maybe a little bit more to it than than just these, you know, headline things that we see going back and forth. But I mean, I, I know I enjoyed the expanded playoffs. I, I think that those wild card series were a ton of fun. And it was really fun to get that urgency in game two. I mean, you guys had it. You know, the A's finally won the winner take all or the and then they won the winner take all game, but winning the game facing elimination and everything else. And uh I, I really enjoyed that. And you know, I, I'm not privy enough to the ins and outs of even how the players' contracts work and uh these bits and pieces that they see um, in terms of where they think they can gain more and, you know, the power struggle um, or just, you know, that back and forth. But I would love to see expanded playoffs and I didn't know how I was going to feel about it before it happened. I mean, I'm always going to be pro more baseball because I love it so much, but I really enjoyed how that round went. And, you know, I would love to see it again, whether it's this year, whether it's after the next CBA, um, or onward. It was a lot of teams. Maybe there's a way to cut down a couple of the teams. I know that one of the uh, rumors online in the last few days involved like 14 teams instead of 16. Uh, and I don't know the specifics of that, but I mean, I'm all for it. Like, it's great that we got the Blue Jays to make the playoffs last year, even though they got swept in two games by the Rays. Like, that's so good. That's so good for those guys. That's so good in terms of playoff experience and everything else. You know, I thought it was sad, and, you know, obviously there's been some weird stuff going on with Wall Street, and Steve Cohen, the new owner of the Mets, I guess was getting threats and getting hammered on Twitter that he's now off Twitter. But I thought it was so cool how he was interacting with the fans. You know, he's a Mets fan, and he was reaching out. Um, what's that been like, if, if you know anything about the situation? Because I do believe now he is off Twitter. Yeah, I don't know anything about the situation beyond the fact that he released a statement, I think it was over the weekend, or maybe I have no sense of time. Um, I had to look in the corner of my screen to notice it was Monday. Uh, but it was uh, some time in the last few days about uh, some interactions that he had and his family was receiving some threats based on some of the conversations that were going on. So he was off Twitter. But I mean, I agree with you that it was really great. Uh, certainly while it was going on, I, I think that you know, we don't really hear a lot from owners in any sport, really. And the way that he was interacting was just so relatable. I mean, he, you know, even down to the punctuation of the tweets and everything else. I mean, it really felt like Steve Cohen was, you know, tweeting these things. It wasn't a team account or anything else. And I think he announced a press conference on there, maybe the Lindor press conference like a couple of weeks back. And that was just so funny to see all the reporters saying, well, guess we're having this. Uh, so, you know, I don't know the ins and the outs of exactly 
what went on with him there, but I do think it was a good insight into, you know, who he is in terms of being an owner. And I think that even if it isn't specifically with a Twitter account, I think that, you know, Mets fans should hold some hope that whenever things are different in the world or anything else, that there will be that level of interaction with the fans. And I think that that's something that, you know, people maybe didn't even know they were missing because we're so unaware of that being a thing. But now that you've seen it, it's like great to see him interacting with fans in that way. Is Trevor Bauer going to be a Met? It seems like it, right? I mean, there was a report a couple of days ago that the Angels were out, and I think that the Alex Cobb trade further cements that. They've, they've added enough pitchers who are not at Bauer's level, but enough that probably combine to be a Bauer, not in terms of uh, capability, but even just in terms of innings, uh, that it, it seems like it only because I can't remember the last time I saw a rumor or a report about any other team. And it really felt for a while that it was the Angels and the Mets. So it seems like he is going to be a Met. But, uh, you know, we've seen mystery teams swoop in before. So it'll be really interesting. I mean, I think the most interesting thing to be is just going to be what that contract looks like. Is it going to be one year with that high, high uh, single year salary? Is it going to be like three years with high AAV? Is he going to take a five-year deal? Um and I'm not sure that we really have any indication. I mean, there were reports about wanting the high AAV over anything else. And then more recently, there was that that's less important. So I'm interested to see how that ends up with whatever team it is. Well, be safe and and stay warm and uh, <laughs> keep battling that. Is it, is, it, is it technically called a blizzard right now? I don't know if it's tech. I, I thought blizzard has to do with the wind. So if that's the case, then I am calling it a blizzard, but I'm not Mike Trout. He's allowed to make those kind of pronouncements. So we might need to check with him uh, as the weatherman of MLB, but it's certainly still snowing and still windy, but I will, I will do my best. And you enjoy the golf tomorrow and your uh, beautiful California weather. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a really horrible. I'm looking at it right now here in, uh, uh, Silicon Valley, as you know, it, uh, San Jose, uh, it's 63 degrees here. Oh my gosh, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> you know, before we had the blizzard, not to go too much into the weather, but like three or four days ago before this snow, we had a nice thing where it was like, feels like negative 10. So, uh, when it's not snowing, there's still plenty to look forward to with the cold temperatures. By the way, just looking at our weather going forward, Saturday will be 66. Sunday will be 68, almost 70 degrees. Oh, my gosh. That now sounds you, incredible. Now you know why we overpay. <laughs> <laughs> I completely understand it. Hey, you know I, how much I love visiting out there and family out there and everything else. Uh, I, can't, I can't wait to see you. We, never, we haven't seen anybody. Like I know. Our show is supposed to be on the field. I'm, I'm ready to get back on the field and have you come out to the bay and I want some normalcy. We we finally just opened up outdoor dining where we are. Just finally wow. opened. Wow. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to any of the normalcy. I'm looking forward to a ballpark. I haven't been to one since uh, spring training last year. My mom and I were out there, and then we got back, and all of this happened. So definitely looking forward to whenever I can set foot in a in a ballpark again. It's great to see you. Be well. Let's talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. Jared, hope all is well there in New Jersey and great success with the Wall Street Journal and, of course, your book, Swing Kings. Thank you. Yes, everything's going okay. Doing the best we can here. Uh, 
hoping that the, the return of baseball soon uh, is a sign of better things to come. Yeah, and, and I think uh, you say it best on your Twitter account, the, the, the tweet that you've pinned where you say, hey, uh, if you're missing baseball and you want to scratch that itch, uh, your book is a great read when talking about the art of hitting the baseball. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, you know, the book, the, the book, it's so funny. When the book came out, the pandemic was just starting. And, uh, you know, I think back now, it feels like so long ago. I feel like the, when the book came out, we, I was just so focused on uh, trying to survive in this new normal uh, and sort of overshadowed the book coming out. So I'm just really glad that people are still talking about it and that it's found an audience in spite of all the insanity that's been going on for the last 10 months. You know, there, there, there's an evolution of hitting the baseball. I mean, obviously guys want to lift it. Guys want it in the air. Guys want to hit it out of the ballpark. Where do you think the next uh, generation of players, do you think we'll get back to a point where, yeah, you like hitting home runs, but you also like making a lot more contact. Uh, look, I think for as long as the baseball itself is as, let's call it, turbocharged as it currently is, of course batters are going to continue to try to lift. Of course they, they will. Right now, you're very incentivized to try to hit the ball in the air because if you do get the ball in the air, uh, there's a good chance it's going to go pretty far. Uh, so it's going to take some sort of bigger changes, I think, to the game to bring back some of the things that at least some fans miss, some of the small ball. Now, that said, uh, I do believe that we've sort of reached a critical tipping point when it comes to strikeouts, when it comes to balls not being put in play. I do think we're sort of moving toward it starting to slide back uh, a little bit. I think we've coming to realize that there really is a limit to how far the strikeouts don't matter approach is. Uh, and I also think that we might see some bigger changes fundamentally to the game that would incentivize contact. Because I think there is something in the eyes of a lot of fans that is, that is lost uh, when you lose some part of the old style play in the game. So I think it's going to start to come back around. It's never going to go back to the way it was. Those, those days are over. The 70s are gone. They're not coming back. But I'm not going to say there's a middle ground, but maybe there's a little bit more that we could pared back a little bit for the good of the game. Yeah, when we had that delay and MLB Network, which we see you on all the time, uh, was airing all those classic games, and then we started airing the uh, 72, 73, 74 World Series wins for the A's against the uh, the Reds, the Dodgers, and the Mets. Um, you know, watching guys choke up, watching the two-strike approach, baseball has changed. And then even after A's games all the time, Jared, I have to tell people, they're like, why didn't they bunt? I'm like, you're not going to get a $20 million contract bunting. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> right, you're not. And look, there's the, the evidence just tells us that it's not a good idea. It just, it just isn't. Like, and that's a big problem, I think, that baseball is facing right now. It's, it's a very complicated issue. When people talk about well, how, what are the issues baseball faces, I think sometimes people uh, underestimate or undersell just how complicated it is. And the reason I say that is that baseball now is clearly smarter than ever before. It is more optimized than ever before. It is indisputable that the way the game is being played today is the best way to go about it to score more runs or to 
give up fewer runs on the pitching side. The problem is, as the game has evolved, uh, on that standpoint, it's also maybe become less entertaining, less fun. Uh, and look, let's not forget, baseball is an entertainment product first and foremost. If fans do not like the product on the field, it is the responsibility of the stewards of the game to change the game to ensure that the product on the field is something that people like. And other sports have been much more uh, willing to sort of make rule changes purely for the sake of entertainment. And other sports, fortunately for them, like basketball, like football, their sort of analytics revolution have actually in some ways made the game more entertaining. In the NBA now, it's all about 30-foot three-pointers and dunks. In other words, the things people like. And what do they got rid of in the NBA? Like 10-foot bank shots that no one really cares about. The NFL's analytics revolution has led to less kicking and more long passes, uh, basically the things people like. Baseball's revolution has led to a lot more strikeouts, a lot more downtime, a lot longer games, things like this. So uh, I do think it's baseball's responsibility at some point to say to itself, what do we want the game to be? And how do we sort of put our hands into the into the batter to make sure it rises to be what we want it to be? I don't think there's anything wrong with a sport doing that. In fact, I think it's its responsibility to. I am so glad you just said all of that because Jared, I used to do the Golden State Warriors pre and post game show, and before I went to work exclusively for the A's, and I used to say. If you went in a time machine and you went back in time to like the 60s and you told all the big men that they were going to be irrelevant later on, that there was going to be this three-point line and that guards and smaller players are going to be more important than seven-footers, as we saw with the Warriors and shooting all the threes, those guys in the 60s would have told you, you're crazy, that's never going to happen. The way basketball evolved with the three-pointer, I mean, you're dead on. I mean, the way that 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 basketball and football have got more entertaining uh, you know and and also problem when you say for baseball is the fact that it seems like every guy that we got coming in on the mound is throwing 100 miles an hour now yeah that that's a really great point uh, that's another thing i think people underestimate uh, when they talk about strikeouts specifically everybody wants to immediately go to the hitters and say why are they swinging for the fences uh, what i would point out is what you said Everybody throws about a thousand miles an hour. Uh, balls, the breaking balls move in ways that uh, seem to disobey the laws of physics. Uh, the game was not designed for everyone to throw this hard. It's a huge factor. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And you're right. I mean, some of these balls, like to watch, you know, the one year that Blake Trinan had for us to watch the ball sink and he's throwing it 99 miles an hour. It's like, how does he do that? You know, um, you did a piece with Fernando Tatis, and last year the A's and the Padres hooked up, and it was uh, it was a Saturday that they mic'd up Mark Canna. They 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 mic'd up a couple guys, a couple of our guys, a couple of the Padres. But the one thing they did was they mic'd up Fernando Tatis, and you really got to see his personality. I mean, he's funny. Uh, he, I, he's he's just 22, but he's a great talker. He's got he's got a big personality, and, and he was cracking jokes while playing shortstop at the same time on national television. I mean, I understand now uh, why people could see him truly as the next, I guess, face of the game. 
Yeah, he's Fernando Tatis Jr. is everything baseball could dream uh, for. He's obviously supremely talented. Uh, you know, as we look for who is going to be the best player in baseball when the answer is not Mike Trout, uh, which will happen one day. It will. I know it's hard to believe that one day Mike Trout will not be the best player in baseball anymore. Someone's going to have to take up that mantle. And, you know, I see a few guys, three players to me right now that I could see uh, filling that category, but certainly one of them is Fernando Tatis Jr. And what makes him so special is what you said. It's his personality. It's his, it's his willingness to be uh, more than just a baseball player, a guy that really wants to be a star, wants to be a celebrity. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way. It's He wants to do this stuff because it's good for the game. He wants to grow the game. He wants to make baseball look cool. And look, Mike Trout is an unbelievable baseball player who's probably going to go down as one of the greatest ever to play the game. But Mike Trout isn't cool. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But he's not cool. He doesn't have any cachet. He doesn't uh, really make baseball seem like something that's worth watching the younger generation, as great as he is, because he's boring. And he's boring because he's so great. He just has the personality is not Mike Trout's thing. It's not what he's interested in. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. brings it all. Then if he continues to perform the way we think he's going to perform with the persona that he has, look, baseball hasn't had a real crossover celebrity, I would say, since Ken Griffey Jr., which is in the 90s, now 2020. Uh, if it's still possible for baseball to have a player like that, and I really hope and believe it is, I think Tatis is as good of a candidate as there is. You know, we know all about Mike Trout. <laughs> Having to see him every single – it's just, you know, I, I feel kind of bad. You know, it's not his fault. I mean, not everybody's born with a great personality. Not everybody's going to be a, a media darling. Uh, but the one thing, you know, we know as A's fans, his greatness. I mean, I mean, Jared, every single time he comes to the plate, it's like, oh, God, here he is again. I mean, it's just he, he wears like the the all time leader for home runs against the A's is Babe Ruth uh, doing it against the Philadelphia A's. He had like one hundred and eight. But it's not going to be too long from now because uh, two guys are tied. It's Palmero and A-Rod have the modern day record for home runs. But Trout's right on their he heels and he's not even 30 yet. Yeah, look, he is amazing. And I don't you know, I don't want to make it seem like I'm being hard on Mike Trout. Mike Trout, it, for, by all accounts both my own personal experience and, you know, observing and others that know him is a great guy. He is a really good person seemingly who does wonders in the community, does a lot for kids, does a lot for charity. Mike Trout uh, uses his platform in a fantastic, fantastic way. In addition to being, uh, like you said, just insanely good at baseball, just beyond belief good at baseball. Uh, so I don't want to give the impression that I'm criticizing Mike Trout. I'm not criticizing Mike Trout. He uses the platform he has the way he wants to use it and in a really good way for his community and I think for society. Uh, it's just that he isn't the kind of person to sort of put himself out there publicly, which might be something that would benefit sort of baseball with a capital B. Uh, you know, and Fernando Tatis Jr. is sort of willing to do that. It's just a, it's just a different in personality. It doesn't mean one is good and one is bad. And I never want to give the impression that I, I'm criticizing Mike Trout because he clearly does uh, beyond good, both on the field and off it. 
you know, you responded to uh, a, a tweet. People wanted uh, some baseball takes, and I thought, because I'm looking at your Twitter account right now, and all mound visits from the dugout should be eliminated, including managers taking pitchers out of the game. I want people to think about that. When they call a timeout in football, the coaches don't walk out to the middle of the field. When they call a timeout in basketball, they don't walk out to the middle of the court. Like baseball is the only sport where you go timeout and a guy in uniform walks out to the mound. I, I totally agree with why do we need to have people go out? And, and trust me, most pitchers don't want them coming out anyway. But I, I, I think that's an interesting take. Just eliminate all visits to the mound. Yeah, I've been on this for years. I think mound visits are absolutely the worst. I understand that there's perhaps a need for player mound visits. Uh, catchers might need to go talk about signs. You know, I could live with them, although I'd love to get rid of that too uh, if they were away. But having managers or pitching that's come out to the mound should not exist. No other sport has it. Uh, I know other sports have quote-unquote timeouts, but those other sports don't have the downtime baseball has. You have all half innings to talk with your pitching coach about who's coming up next inning and what you need to be thinking about. Uh, there's no reason pitching changes can't happen from the dugout. There's no other sport where substitutions are required to happen, like with a coach going onto the field. Uh, the other thing this would do is eliminate the thing I hate as much as anything in baseball, which is the go out to the mound to give the reliever more time to warm up stall tactic. It's just awful. It just grinds the game to a halt. It shouldn't exist. Uh, I am 100% of the belief that all these, anything involving mid-inning pitching changes needs to be essentially eliminated or changed in a huge way. I think that's one way of doing it is just getting rid of mound visits. I also think that mid-inning pitching changes should be a lot shorter. Uh, I hate that a, a pitcher comes in the middle of an inning, a reliever gets eight warm-up pitches. Why? You should be warmed up when you come into the game. I understand you need one pitch, maybe two to feel the game now because it is different than the bullpen mound. But again, that's another example of stalling. Like, oh, we're not going to get warmed up in the bullpen and I'm going to get eight more pitches on the mound. These little things to speed up the game, to me, they matter. Uh, you know, the, if it shaves off two or three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, just to keep the action going, I think that's good for the game. So down with mound visit. Jared, we give them phones. There's a bullpen coach. He answers the phone. Why can't you call down and say, hey, get so-and-so up. He's coming in next. If we're giving you phones, use them. You're right. Like, why do why do you need to go out and visit? You can just call down to the bullpen and tell the guy to come in. I mean, that's why tradition. the phones are there. It's tradition because they've always done it that way. Uh, and look, baseball traditions are part of what makes it great. I love that baseball has traditions. But it's also, I think, part of like having traditions is also knowing uh, when traditions can be broken and which traditions – should be broken. I mean, I'm not saying we should eliminate the seventh inning stretch. I mean, that's just a time-honored tradition of baseball. It's charming. It adds to the flow, to the character of the sport. Uh, mound visits, to me, do not. They just slow the game down and break the action during tense moments. So I don't think there's anything wrong. It doesn't make you like less of a baseball fan or less of even a purist to say some of the traditions that have made, that have been part of the game Maybe they're just there because they've always been there, and is that really good reason to be doing it at all? 
Let's end on this. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, an honored tradition that's been going on forever is the players union and baseball fighting each other. They don't like each other. They just can't get along. It is what it is. But as we, I mean, we're, we're just starting to figure out some of the roster size. It's hard to believe we're figuring that out in February. But uh, when it's all said and done, do you think we'll have a universal DH and that we'll have expanded postseason? Uh. Yes, I think we will. I think the universal DH is uh, that I'm extremely confident about that there will be a universal DH. I do believe that the, they'll make a side agreement for that to exist. Last year, they kind of stuck it into the health and safety protocols. Those are being negotiated again right now. I, I really think it will. Expanded playoffs, I'm not sure. It's a little trickier. There's a little more to that one. Uh, there's a lot bigger sort of financial incentives on all for all parties when it comes to expanded playoffs. If you remember last year, the expanded playoffs were not settled, announced until after the season started, uh, which was pretty weird. It was like on opening day or the day after. So it could really come down to the wire. Ultimately, if I had to guess yes or no, I actually think yes, expanded playoffs will also happen. But my confidence on that is lower than Universal DH which I feel I really do think will ultimately happen on that one. Well, continued success with the Wall Street Journal and, of course, with your book, Swing Kings, and let's talk soon and be safe. Thank you so much. Always good to be here. Cole, it's great to have you on A's Cast Live, and welcome to the A's family. Oh, I'm excited. I am excited to wear green and yellow and, more importantly, white cleats. Yes, and, and you know the thing, too, that – you know, when you're coming to the Oakland A's right now, you know, the team that won the division last year, the two previous years, won 97 games. I mean, you're coming to a team that, you know, the expectations are to win the division and, and again and go on a deep run in the postseason. Absolutely. I mean, we got we got a, an awesome offense and, and a great defense behind us. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting the guys in the clubhouse and, and getting – getting the ship, uh, getting the ship rolling. I mean, uh, just there's, there's so much good about coming to the Oakland A's and, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I, and I think for a lot of players and especially young guys, when you start looking at the way the A's do business, it's the land of opportunity. I mean, you're going to get your chance to not only start, you're going to get a chance to come out of the bullpen. I, and and we think we're not totally sure how it's going to work, but there's going to be a lot of innings out there for someone like yourself to go get some outs for the A's. Absolutely. You know, and I'm, you know, here's the thing is I'm thankful that I'm thankful for the opportunity. Um, you know, when, when I got, when I got the phone call that I was traded, um, that was the first thing that went through my mind was, I'm getting opportunity to pitch and, and prove that I, that I can pitch in the big leagues. And, and I felt that, uh, you know, in Philadelphia, and this is nothing against the new regime or any, any of the old regime. It was just the opportunity just wasn't quite there. And uh, to be able to start or to be able to relieve and, and actually work through some of the woes that come with that. And uh, you know what, I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of Oakland. Uh, you know, the, the community of Oakland, um, you know, I'm just, the, the opportunity is there, like you said, and, and it gets me extremely excited. You know, Scott Emerson's a Carolina guy. Have you been able to talk to the pitching coach yet? Actually, he's coming out to watch my, uh, simulated in innings tomorrow. Um, so I'm going to actually have a, uh, face-to-face 
meeting with him tomorrow. Um, he's about an hour and a half from me, roughly. So uh, looking forward to meeting him. We've talked a little bit on the phone. And and uh, again, I'm excited to get working down at uh, down in uh, Mesa. Yeah, Emo's a great guy. You're going to love him. Really, really smart. And obviously, everything is about doing what's best for you. So I think you're really going to like working with Scott Emerson. And, you know, we just don't know what this season's going to be like because, you know, last year was only 60 games. Um, you know, a lot of minor leaguers haven't played. I just, you know, are you going to need 13 starters? Are you going to need 15 yeah. starters? I mean, you know, ideally you'd like seven, but how, how do you think this season's going to play out? I really, I really, you know, me coming into the Oakland A's, uh, you know, I feel like we have a really strong core group of guys. And I think the core is there. Um, I'm hoping that we have, um, you know, I think every team is you hope that you have enough pitching to get through this season. So, um, and something that I've, I've prob, prob, pride, prided myself in is uh, just pitching and eating, eating innings. And so it's important that that we got guys that, that can do that too, and not just myself, but, you know, from top to bottom. And and again, as I get familiar with the guys in the, in the group that's in that locker room, um, you know, I think this year has got – we got a lot of good things. And I think it helps – it helped that uh, the A's were able to play in the postseason to get a couple extra games under their belt. Um, unlike other teams um, that, that didn't get to play. I mean, I know we had expanded playoffs last year, but um, you know, just those extra innings go a long way going into this season. And, and more importantly, you know, just if guys were throwing live innings during COVID um, we don't know how many guys were, were staying active during that time either. So, Everyone's going to be on a, on a different schedule this year, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a really, really strong year for for us in Oakland. You know, the one one positive that I want to take is that you know guys of your generation have thrown so many pitches. I know you've had Tommy John surgery before. There's just so much throwing going on that maybe just maybe some of this time off and a shorter season, more time off. Do you think a lot of pitchers are going to come back stronger because they've had a little less wear and tear lately? Yeah, they definitely have. I, I think the the health side of things, it gave guys more rest. And, and yeah, maybe that created a rusty 2020 season um, for some guys. And, and I might have fallen under that category. I don't think I am um, because I kept, I kept throwing during COVID. I mean, I was – I think I logged around 50, 53 innings roughly just in COVID alone because I was able to face hitters and stay active and keep myself lengthened out um, when we were off here in here in Charlotte. So, um, you know, I, it's just going to be everyone's going to be on a different scenario. But I think you're onto something when you talk about the health benefits of of having that time off and not playing a long season and our bodies breaking down to the point where it's. Uh, we need a lot more recovery at the beginning of our offseason plan. So I think guys going to be are, are going to be a little bit more healthy. I think I think you're onto something there. Yeah, and we got to get these kids back to playing. I feel so bad for these really young minor leaguers, even college yeah. baseball, which college baseball finally is going to get started again. I mean, to lose a year of your career. I mean, obviously, 2020 was a horrific year, but I, I and I'm sure you've worked out with some of these younger guys. What, what has it been like for them where they had no games? If, if you weren't at the alternate site, you weren't playing at all. Well, you got to think access to facilities, access to things that make these young players better. And that's, that's access to video. That's access to 
you know, the, the, the big league or, or pro coaching. Um, and on top of that, maybe some of the technology that they like to use, um, you know, at their affiliates, uh, they didn't have that at home. So I think a lot of guys really suffered and, and hopefully guys were able to go play places. Um, I know a bunch of guys that went over to Australia to play more recently. Um, and hopefully these winter ball situations are helping guys out, but, you know, you just really don't know, and and you really hope that that the minor league side of things, you can get guys going and 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 start things off uh, ahead of time. But again, we we there's no groundwork quite yet, so we don't quite know what to expect. And and I'm hoping that uh, I'm just hoping for the best for everyone. Uh, last year just was awful, and uh, we're, you know we just haven't just get baseball being played. And I think all of us will figure out how it's going to go. Yeah. Well, you know, out here on the West coast and you're from out here. I mean, these poor kids, there was no competition going on. There was, I mean, they, I heard of, you know, buddies who have kids, they were going to like Arizona to play tournaments like here in California, nobody was playing anything. So I just, I'm hoping for these kids to, and and really in all sports, it doesn't matter men's sports, female sports. I mean, everybody didn't play at all. So uh, just to get them going once again, you know, if, if you have a preference, what would you rather do? Would you rather start or would you rather come out of the bullpen? I've logged the most innings as a starter um, and I'll start there, but I'll finish with, if I'm given a role to be able to work through some woes out of the bullpen, like I did in September um, of 2019. um, And I worked through some woes, you know, in a couple months earlier, um, you know, being able to work through those things out of the bullpen, not having done it before was extremely beneficial to me. So um, I'm hoping that, that moving forward, you know, I'm pitching opportunity is, you know, with the Oakland A's is, is something I'm excited for. It's something that uh, is, is definitely an even better driving factor. Um, knowing that, knowing that we're, I'm stepping into a organization that likes to play young players um, and, and expect it, and expecting us to win. And that's something that uh, I definitely pride myself in is I don't want to go out there, um, you know, when it's just a slop game. Uh, I want to I want to go out there when the game's tight and and earn my experience that way and and earned and earn the innings that that are going to help me grow and s- succeed at the big league level. Um, but I, I love starting and, and that's, I, I've always been a starter. I'm comfortable there. Um, I ha- I felt that I, I got laid into ball games in all three of my starts in the big leagues. Um, back in 2019. Um, but then again, it's op- we're talking about opportunity and, and whatever is there, I'm going to take it and I'm going to run with it and, and, and do the best I can. So you got a couple outings in 2020 and, you know, it was just a strange year for a lot of people. You know, some guys had great years, some guys didn't, but as a pitcher, when you think about adrenaline and coming into a game and the fans, what was it like for you to not have any fans there and you're just looking around at a bunch of cardboard cutouts? Yeah, I think the f- opening weekend still kind of felt you still had that adrenaline, but after opening weekend it was it was stale. Um it felt it felt that uh, and and in Philadelphia especially um and I know we're going to be in Oakland, but in Philadelphia especially you you want you want those fans in those seats. Um but you know, it just felt stale. It, it felt dry, and and the best way I put it was like playing high school baseball again. Um, 
when it was just your coaches and a couple parents watching and your parents were the front office. So um, that's kind of how I thought of it. And uh, it just, it was really, really difficult to get yourself motivated to go because the fans are, are the most important thing. Um, and, and, and we really enjoy playing in front of them. And I, and I know, I know in Oakland, it's, you feel just the same way you want, you want the fans there. It doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. And I, I'm just kind of hoping now that we, you know, when we're, we're turning on the television and you're seeing fans at uh, NFL games, you're seeing fans, we saw them in college football. We're seeing some NHL, NBA. Just hope we can have some fans back because I, I know they mean a lot to you guys and you guys like to perform. Uh, before we let you go, so you're getting in a little go-kart action before before you head out to Arizona? <laughs> yeah, I am with my brother-in-law who is actually a professional um, driver um, in, a, in a different series, in a, in a racing series. And um <laughs> Uh, just something that he and I like to do in our off time. And, and I'm just getting in a few laps before I head out and um, having a lot of fun We're you know, this uh, GoPro motorplex here is just amazing. And if anyone is out in North Carolina and, and close to Charlotte, you guys want to check this place out. These go-karts are, are no joke. Are you able to take your brother-in-law? Uh, I'm, I'm about four tenths behind. So I'm I'm close, but I but I can't I have got no shot. He 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 definitely knows his way way around a track. Uh, so 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 he when you're saying he's so he's he's legit. Yes, yes, he is a he's a champion in uh, the Lucas Oil Off Road Series. He knows what he's doing behind a wheel. Meanwhile, I'm just trying to follow him and feel like I'm putting in good laps. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I'd love to say, uh, by the way, Kevin Franzen recommended you, our, our buddy Franny with the Phillies. Uh, he said you said you got you got to get him on. He's a great interview. Uh, we really appreciate the time. I'd like to say I, I'd be able to introduce myself down at spring training or uh, at the Coliseum later on this year, but uh, we, we've, we've been doing everything from our, from our home. So, uh, hopefully we'll get to meet you soon. Be well, be safe and you take care. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And this was awesome. And, and, uh, I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to being on more. Brody, how you doing? I now subscribe to the motto of kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. You know, in this uh, millennial world technology that we're all using now, it's very easy to screw it up. <laughs> I, I remember we, we linked up some point late in the season. I tried to overdo it with technology and um, completely bonked. So I'm glad to be here with you today, guys. How's it going? Uh, it's going good. And we, we, we were talking about for you, not only what you do, uh, NBC Sports California with the A's, but also what you do with the shark and obviously the hockey season is very bizarre. I know they got some COVID going right now. So all the sports are looking at each other and talking to each other. How is hockey doing? Um, to be perfectly honest with you, not great at this point. Um, and I think you're right. Every, every sport looks at each other, but they're all so different, Tony. I mean, you think about baseball, summer months, you can have that separation between players. I mean, look at, you know, remember the, the bullpen at the Coliseum, even ex the extended dugout um, was down, down the left and right field lines. You could space these guys out in hockey. I mean, there's no way around it. You need 15 to 20 guys on a really short bench in kind of a fishbowl environment of a rink 
Um, there's a lot more spitting on the ice. Just, hockey's a gross sport. I mean, <laughs> inherently, it's a gross sport. And uh, that just does not do well with, you know, germs and transmission of, of just regular old illnesses. Forget COVID. Um, so it's been an uphill battle pretty much. You know, we, we've seen several teams, Las Vegas included, and Minnesota now recently, um, you know, basically have to just shut down in their entire operation for you know, a week at a time plus. And then the league has to go back and reschedule all their games. I mean, we were so fortunate back in baseball season to only have what, you know, those maybe four or five games from Houston and Seattle having to be rescheduled. Um, you know, the A's in retrospect with their one positive test, it wasn't that bad, but it was still, you know, five double headers in the last month. Hockey can't do that either. So totally unique challenge. It's hockey's kind of struggling through this first part, trying to figure out how many more changes they can make uh, to keep this, this ship floating. Well, I, I'll tell you, you know, when, when we had Dan Schulman on during the playoffs and obviously he lives in Canada and he was telling yeah. us the story about how, when he goes home, he has to rent or a, 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 I think he rented an apartment or because he had to quarantine for X amount of weeks. Otherwise, his kids wouldn't be able to go to school. And that's when I thought, oh, boy, what are they going to do in the NBA? What are they going to do in hockey? If you're not going to allow American teams across the border and they can't sit there and quarantine for two weeks. I mean, that's that, oh, you, you, you knew that was not going to be a good situation. Well, and fortunately for the NHL, right? I mean, with baseball, you had the Buffalo Blue Jays all summer long. But fortunately for the NHL, there are seven Canadian teams, which almost fits perfectly with the three other divisions, the West, the Central, and the East, that have eight teams. So they just basically said, you know what? We'll draw that North Division off as, as our border, you know, literally of that division. So, so you're right. There, there's not any cross-border NHL travel, which was going to be impossible. And I... <laughs> I understand it and I respect it. I mean, it's just, it's maybe not in really either side's best interest to have been doing that. So unfortunately the geography worked out for, you know, the NHL with the border situation way better than it did for, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays or even the Toronto Raptors who are playing down in Florida. As somebody who's been in baseball a long time, do you, do you find it weird that there's a lot of unknown about how we're going to play the sport signings i mean pitchers and catchers are supposedly reporting in two weeks and you still have like 200 free agents out there i mean have you ever seen so much indecision going right up to the start of spring training i like how you said supposedly because that, yeah. <laughs> that's such the key word in all of this and that's how i feel too like it just it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense to start this thing on time um and from either side if you're a player you want to go into the best situation of health avoiding shutdowns avoiding starting and stopping and all that stuff and avoiding interruptions i understand you also want to get your pay for 162 and you want to replicate a normal season i get that but if you're an owner it's the same thing for the league side of things i mean the if you can delay things even a month that's going to put our entire country in a much better position to be able to welcome back fans on whatever level you know whatever scale it's going to begin at um that's going to help you out in the timing of your season to get that revenue and to get those fans back. So it's crazy to me that the argument of when should we start also includes things like, should we expand the playoffs? Should we have the DH in the national league again? Should, you know, it, it, those things are separate conversations. Quit trying to put them all into one conversation. They're not. 
but it, you're right. In terms of this coming down to the wire, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I am hoping for the sake of everybody involved. I mean, I, I hope to see a full baseball season. I don't think any of us want any different than that because it, it means that our country's doing well and things are on the right path. I don't see any reason to start this thing as scheduled. I would love for everybody involved if it just were simply delayed one month. And I'm, I would not be opposed to watching the World Series and then celebrating Thanksgiving the week after. <laughs> I wouldn't if that's possible, you know. Yeah, I mean, we survived last year not having baseball for around eight months. If you're telling me we could wait one one more month, I think I think we would all, you know, if if they're going to tell us that that's going to do wonders for this season, I think we right. could all have the patience for that. Small price to pay, right? And I I just think, and you know this too, from talking to the players and guys every single day, that the sixty games they played last year in sixty six days was absolutely grueling. And I won't even, uh, not because I was coming on today, I just happened to be texting with a few people yesterday, very, very tied in and close, close-knit with the team. And, and their mindset is, well, I mean, I'm obviously excited about the next season coming. I'm not excited about jumping right back into the, you know, COVID environment, the COVID type season that it seems like we're going to have. Um, but it, it just, it, it, it was such a grind last year. And I, I'm just amazed that nobody seems to be remembering that as we're all planning for 162, the normal way, you know, East coast, West coast travel. It's just amazing. You know, the major league baseball would be the first professional sports league to go back full scale, full tilt on a, on a normal schedule. Now you could say the NFL already did that, but that's a totally different situation when you're only playing one game a week. It just, it, you cannot compare um, what needs to happen for baseball to get this right? I mean, how many, I mean, how many players as of right now, they don't even know if they're going to Arizona, are they going to Florida, what team are they going to be on? Exactly. No, it's, yeah. it's crazy. And the, guy, the guys who have it settled, and I mean, when I, I talked to Chad Pender, like right after he signed, and, and Tony Kemp right after he signed, and, and the one thing that, you know, they, they don't want to say because it, or, or they don't want to they don't want to make it a big deal because, you know, it, it's, it's past them now. But they were so happy just to have their next couple months planned out their next season already lined up. Matt Olson was the same way when I talked to him. I mean, he wanted to get this done early so that he could get that question like you're talking about out of the way. And to your point, I mean, it's on both sides. How many players feel that way about where am I actually going to set up shop and how many teams are looking at it still like yeah, I don't really want to make all these commitments because I don't actually know what the season is going to entail, you know? So the whole commentary from the commissioner's office of, hey, be ready for 162, be ready for a normal season, what does that tell me? I mean, that, that's what he's supposed to say. That's what they're supposed to say. It really doesn't give me any indication of what's actually going to happen. So I, I saw it as good news, Bauer going to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Because yeah, whether get out of the whether, American League, <laughs> yeah, whether whether he was going to the Mets or the Dodgers, it was a win-win. Because it's always in the back of my mind, Brody, that Artie Moreno is going to come out of nowhere with a big check. Oh, and the last oh. thing I wanted to hear was him being an Angel. You know, it's like I I I constantly worry about the Angels over the years because it's like you've already you've already proven that you have the money to secure a pool holes and a trout and all the other players, you know, that, that being their backbone and even an Angelton Simmons, but all the other players that have come and gone, 
to me, pitching is clearly what they have been missing. But I would also say this too, Townie, like, let's say the Angels did sign Trevor Bauer. Do you think that alone puts them in the same category and class as the A's and Astros? Like instantly. I, like you need a rotation. You need a full staff. He's pitching every, you know, sixth game. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't move their, their needle in terms of the standings, I don't think, for me. I mean, it, it changes that one day that he pitches. And it changes their bank account if they were going to shell out $40 million. But um, the Angels, I mean, it's, it's kind of a shame, actually, that they have such a good core and they can't actually find a way to do what Houston and Oakland have. Um, but, yes, to your point, so glad that he's in the NL West. And can I say it, too? I mean, I, don't, I, I know, we're, you know we're very A-centric here. You think about a team like the Giants, who's trying to rebuild and trying to enter back into the conversation, look what their division is made of. They were, they were celebrating um, Arenado's departure from, from Colorado the other day. It's like, now look what you have to deal with. You know, I mean, have you seen the Dodgers rotation projected? It's nasty. Did we lose them? Oh, are you still there? Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we lost you for, for, for a second there. You were talking about the Giants. Oh yeah, sorry. I was just saying that it's it's just I'm, it's it's fortunate that the A's don't have to deal with the NL West, right? Like that is a that is a that is a tough space and a tough division to be in. Well, you got you, you know the the new rivalry, and it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be the Dodgers and the Padres because both those two teams they're going yeah. for it to where the Rockies, Giants, and D-backs aren't. So uh, that that should be very interesting. But you know the thing is and. Fangraphs already has the Angels ahead of the A's. It's like these people fall into the same trap every year. It's, you, can look, you, you, you can look at all the names on the back of the jerseys. The problem is the Angels, they just don't have the arms to get 27 outs, and people forget yeah. pitching and defense wins. It's kind of like I see on social media. A lot of the leagues do this. You know, Before seasons ramp up, they want to get people excited. They're like, like yesterday, who's the, who's the top? tandem in baseball you know and Chapman and Olsen were named for Oakland and there's a couple others but it's like projections at this point and basing things off last year you will never know until you see these teams actually come together I mean you could generally look at yeah the Padres and the Dodgers or even in the West still Oakland still should should be quite good I know this offseason has not panned out at all how, how a lot of fans want it but you know, the, the point being is like you can still have a pretty good idea, but you don't have exact projections like people are throwing out there all the time. I, I, it's honestly why I think spring training and training camp and football and training camp and hockey, it's one of so much optimism <laughs> that has to be tempered with a little bit of reality, you know? Yeah, and this would be the year where the rosters are so incomplete right now. I don't even know right. how, like, how can you really make these projections when you have so many teams that still need to sign players? Yeah, it's, it's pretty impossible. Like I said, I, and I, I, I'm curious, you know, I, I knew this winter was going to be slow because of that. And I, I don't, I think we're out of the winter months. Like I, I think it's February, like literally spring training is, knock it on the, on the door right around the corner. So uh, to me, we're in springtime and then, and we're still slow. And to your point that teams are still not built out as much as I think they're going to be. So, um, I, you know what, that, that would tell me that there's going to be a day where things come fast and furious when this reality is actually, um, when it actually 
sets in and takes place. That that is right there. What makes me think, Tony, that there are people who are who are way deeper than you and I, if that's possible. Um, but that they think they think this thing's not going to get started on time because they're, you know, they're the ones dealing with contracts and money and people, and and they're not actually making these commitments yet either. So that's what that's what leads me to believe right now there's still a large chance that this season gets pushed back a little bit. Well, you might need to dust off your second baseman's glove because uh, <laughs> right now uh, <laughs> we we the 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 uh, up the middle defense is uh, there's a definite question what who's going to be playing short and who's going to be who's going to be playing second base for the Athletics. I'm insulted, Townie, that you don't think my arm is strong enough to play short. I get, I understand what you were saying there. Why you put me on the right side of the infield? I get it. I totally years get that. Oh, but you know you've you you got <laughs> wear and tear on the tires now. Oh yeah, you know it's 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 kind of sad to look at the average age of athletes these days, and and forty for me is right around the corner, a couple weeks away. So I'm I'm not yeah I'm taking taking notice of that definitely. But no, and to your point, uh, man, just and that's a huge question, right? Like, I mean, obviously, here's what I will say about the A's is there are things that work. If the season started tomorrow, I know Tony Kemp is going to play. Second, I know uh, Machine is obviously an option up the middle somewhere. I think Chad Pender could certainly suffice at shortstop. I think he would tell you that maybe that's not even his best position on the field. He'll do it. He'll do the best of his ability, and he's, it's not a bad option. Um, and I know there, there may be some other internal selections and, and things too, but you know, in one, in one case, did, did great things happen? No. Are the A's a better team now than they were at the end of the year? No. Absolutely not. They've all they've done is is lost a few key figures. But I would also say that there's not they're not in a situation where they don't have anybody competent to do the job. That's that's definitely not the case. So um, could it be much better? Yes. Could it absolutely be much worse? Of course. So it's hard, though. I, I made this point the other day that our fan base loved the book Moneyball. Our fan base love the love the movie Moneyball. They love the attention, but when it gets down to this is how this team operates. This is how they. Nothing should surprise you. This is how they've always operated. Same thing with the Rays. I mean, you like Moneyball, but when Moneyball is actually implemented, the fan base gets a little. Uh, they're not so happy. Well, and I think I think especially because. It's not just names and faces. I mean, and, and it was not back in the 2000s either. I should make that clear. But because it's a guy like Marcus that doesn't come back, you know, literally born and raised in the Bay Area, went to high school in the East Bay, played at Cal, um, magically from Chicago, you know, came as part of that trade. And I, you're having Fagley on later, right? He was part yeah. of that trade. Um, and and just to just to come and spend formative years of his life here, where he started a family, and also like you could see. Like what he did with Wash in those middle, you know, 2010 years, 15, 16 into 17 and, and, and became a gold glove caliber shortstop from a guy who, you know, every time a ball was hit his way, you're like, come on, Marcus, make that play, you know, and, it, and it, he struggled, obviously. So his just his story was so storybook. And that's why I think, you know, and, and teammates, you know, referring to him as captain of the team, one of the longest tenured players, he goes, he goes from a guy who you didn't know how it was even going to work out to a guy that you can't see yourself playing without. And it's just rough. I mean, I, so I think it's, it's in large part, the personal nature of, of who he was 
the role he filled as a shortstop, as a leadoff hitter, a guy with some pop, you know, not just hitting for average, but um, that could get you, you know, the long ball that this team, you know, is kind of centered around. It's just, it's frustrating and unfortunate, I think, because it's personal. And I'd still, I mean, just getting a one-year deal out of all the teams that could sign him. He just got a one-year deal. Was that, that was, that, that, I was shocked by that. Well, that, you know what, that only does for a, a romantic like me. <laughs> that, that has me in the winter of, of 2021, hoping there's somehow, some way <laughs> that his heart is still set here. And I know his heart was here already, right? Like, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to get into all the nuts and bolts of it, but I mean, he flat out wanted this to be an option, and it wasn't an option for him, and for a lot of different reasons. So, it's and the same thing with Liam Hendricks. You know, he and I talked privately just before, you know, kind of before he really searched the market, and you know, I won't say exactly what he said, but the sentiment was, "I really like to stay here if I could." So that in itself is kind of a a telling a telling sign that. You, know, you got people that will want to come and play here. Uh, just got to make it happen in terms of of being able to bring them back contractually. So, uh, again, I, I know I'm probably more in wish mode right now, but yeah, that's when I saw Marcus sign the one year deal. I understand why why the frustration is there because you know that's that's he went on a short term on a short term agreement, but uh, hopefully that means he comes up sooner for <laughs> for a second chance at this somehow in a non pandemic season. Hey, before we let you go, uh, I know you want to talk about Dick Callahan. Uh, very yeah. sad that we lost Dick and we will not have him for the season. And what a special man he was to all of us. Oh, County, I on Friday and I'm not exaggerating here. And I'm just I'm just not a I'm not like a breakdown and cry person. I'm just not. But to see that and I found out just, you know, kind of opening up Twitter and saw the A's message. It was only like five minutes old at that point. I, I, I had to sit down and, and, and it's not like Dick was, you know, it's not my best friend. I didn't, you know, see him all the time, but I text back and forth, got to know him over the years. I mean, I, I first met him when I was a little kid, got to somehow meet the PA announcer of the Warriors. I was infatuated with, you know, shooting too, you know, and all that, all the stuff he did with Sharunas, Marcellonis and Spreewell. And so, you know, seeing him as an, knowing him as an adult and seeing him as, as I know you did in the press box and, you know, at all these games over the years, but to lose him and to lose Roy Steele within, you know, a 12 month span. I mean, the two voices that I only really associate with that Coliseum. I mean, Roy's voice was there when I was a kid growing up in the eighties and, you know, Dick was there pretty much what from the late 2000s through, you know, the, the year before this prior one. And I, I looked at my text messages because I, I know he and I had, had gone back and forth right before the season started. He said he wasn't doing well. I wished him the best. And, but he sounded like he was getting better. And I, I just, what made me so frustrated is that the last time we had communicated was maybe late July. And I was just like, I, 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 I feel so bad I didn't check in again. I, di I didn't have more conversation with him. I, I thought he was fine you know, and then I come to find this out and yeah, just uh, the world needs more Dick Callahan's. I, I hope all of us can take a piece out of his, uh, of his playbook and just be so kind and generous and, and, and nice to people at the ballpark. It's, it, it's a, it just, it, it touched me. And I, I know a lot of people know his voice, um, but if you knew the person, you would be equally impressed. Well said, be safe with the family and we'll talk soon. I appreciate that. Townie, Cody, take care, guys. Hello. Hey, what's up, Chris? 
the voice of of summer, but you're the voice of winter right now, the voice of your Oakland Athletics. Ken Korak joins us. You know, Ken, we were just talking about it. You know, what's very unique about uh, Cody's hometown, Pittsburgh, is that Steelers and the Pirates and the Penguins all have the same color scheme. I don't know if you can find that anywhere else in American sports. No, it's the only thing, it just pops into my head, that the University of California, I think all the schools are blue and gold in the UC system. Maybe different shades of blue and gold, but, you know, I know going to UCSB, uh, you look yeah. at Cal, UC Irvine, UCLA, of course, I think that's, yes. I think those are the colors of the UC system, but. I never yeah, thought it's like, about you know, that. University of University of Iowa football has always, they've always looked just like the Steeler uniforms. Right. So it is interesting that you mentioned that. So, you know what? Now that you bring that up, I never thought about that. Yeah. Because even like UC Riverside is blue, UC San Diego's blue and gold. I mean, I never thought about that. Yeah. Well, you know, I happened to go to one of those schools. <laughs> you know, I, I conned I con them into admitting me, I guess. So d- during Thanksgiving, we went down to Santa Barbara. And hey, by the way, when was the last time you got a haircut? Uh, it's been a while. Yeah, it looks. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, good to, it's good to see you guys. Anyway, sorry for that. <laughs> no, I, it, we had Dave Cavill on yeah. earlier, and I said to Dave, "I'm like Dave, I haven't seen you in over a year." It's true. Yeah, in fact, I spent about a half hour with him on the phone um, in late December, and I think the genesis of, of that was just what you were saying, like because of the tears last year during the season, we didn't have a whole lot of face to face contact with people like Dave. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, you know, it was good. To, and, and, and the fact what the A's are doing, kid, and I, I, I know how much you understand what, what this franchise means to the East Bay and with the Warriors gone and the Raiders gone and the fact that, you know, the A's have now done a deal with the White House and Governor Newsom and they're going to be doing, you know, 6,000 vaccines a day. Uh, it just says a lot about what the A's mean to the community. And it was just, you know, we can talk baseball all we want, but this is so more important. This is about saving lives. This is real life stuff. And you're right, Chris. I'm glad you mentioned that. And the Coliseum has those advantages because of the central location and also the the vast parking lot. So we saw during the election that the Coliseum was used for that purpose. So there are a lot of great things, I think, that have, have come out of this. And it, it's so important because it's not that easy to get a vaccine, obviously. that And the rollout has been slower than I think expected, but I think it's going to pick up, right? And so um, any tool that we can utilize, because it seems like there's a race against all these variants that are cropping up that we're hearing about. So, yeah, kudos to the A's and all the people that made that happen. And um, it, it sounds like more and more vaccines will be available, which will make the Coliseum site all the more important. Yeah, we want to keep everybody in our A's world safe. And I, I've talked to you about this and, you know, I've talked to Ray Fossey about this. And then we want to make sure that everybody, you know, when we're back going to work and doing the, the everyday thing again, that everybody's protected because, you know, that that's what has to happen. And, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to the. 2021 season, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be wh- where the A's are. I know some people are panicking right now, but it's like, you got to trust the pot process. I mean, you got to trust what Billy and David do. This is what they do. 
They're going to put a team on the field that's going to be one of the better teams in baseball and could be a very very exciting season. It's interesting, too, that you're right. And normally we and we're I think we're fired up for the start of baseball regardless. But it's tempered a little bit because the A's just don't quite have their team yet. Right. We're, we're not sure what this club is going to look like. And I was just I was checking um, MLB trade rumors today. There are still a lot of free agents out there, Chris. There aren't. I mean, most of the marquee names, I, Bauer is still out there and there are a few um you know more prominent free agents but you never count the a's out as far as acquisitions are concerned even now that we're only a couple of weeks from pitchers and catchers reporting so i would think between now and then the a's might be active so what is it like for you i mean you've been the voice of this team for a long time what is it like for you because I think there, there's that date, the Super Bowl, right? Once the Super Bowl is played, you know it's time for us to go to work again. What is it like for you? Because Super Bowl's here this Sunday. It is kind of a demarcation that the page gets turned after the Super Bowl and you start thinking about baseball. But you know, the offseason, baseball never ends because there's so much talk and things to read about during the offseason. But as far as really getting ready and the preparation for me usually begins sometime in late December uh, when I start getting my notebooks ready and um, look at the team, like right now looking at the teams in the American League West. But you do, you, the juices start flowing a little bit, I think, after the Super Bowl, Chris. I think you're really right. You know, I'm one of those guys, I'm a dinosaur. I love the magazines. So I get Athlon and all the sporting yeah. news. But problem is getting those magazines now, Ken, as you just mentioned, we got close to like – 200 free agents haven't been signed. They're going to be these magazines and all of our preview stuff is going to be incomplete. I couldn't wait to get this, the, the sporting news baseball preview, right? Every year you go get yeah. that. And like the Athlon one, and you know, we'd get that too during basketball and football too, but they're outdated. <laughs> there's, there's no question. So I think, I think it's going to be an interesting time because I think now that it looks fairly certain that spring training is going to start on time. I think some of the clubs and maybe some of the agents were waiting just to see if that was going to happen. But you might see the activity really pick up in the next week to 10 days. Don't you think? Yeah. You guys want jobs. No question. And, right. you know, something that we talked to Scott Emerson about a little bit ago, and we talked to Ray Fossey about this and want to get your your opinion on this. Like I have, I, I couldn't even give you an over and under on, the amount of guys that are going to start games. Like we've seen the A's start 13 in a successful season, start 13 guys. But now with the, the, the innings you're going to need, the fact that we, we have pitchers that haven't pitched a full season in almost two years, you've got guys that you may normally rely on, like in triple a who didn't even pitch at all last year. I, do you think you even have an idea of how many guys could potentially start? If we play 162, how many guys could actually start a game? That's a great point because there are all those variables that you mentioned. And even if you pitched every fifth day last year during the truncated season, you only made 11 starts. So it was well well less than a half season. So how those guys bounce back and recover. And then as it pertains to the A's, you have guys coming back off injuries. I'm sure the A's would love to see A.J. Puck break camp with the club in the rotation. But it's been a couple of years since he's been able to do that. 
And I don't think you could expect him to make 30 starts. I don't think you would want him to next year because he's coming back off another injury in the shoulder surgery. And of course, he's had Tommy John before that. So that's an area that I'm hoping the A's go out and might get a veteran starting pitcher or two, or, or let's say a guy that could be a back-end starter, Chris, who if Puck is okay and can start the season in the rotation, the rest of the guys are healthy, and you have your starting five, that maybe that person might be able to slide into long relief. So I think the A's might be in the market for that. I think it might behoove them to do that. The other thing is with the A's, I think it's time for some of these guys we've talked about for years to step up. It'll be one of the, the really interesting things to follow to Chronicle during spring training. I'm talking not just about Puck, but guys like Caprillion and uh, Grant Holmes and Dalton Jeffries. Can those guys take the next step? Because if, if they can do that, then it's really going to help this ball club. And I think we're going to see a record low. When you, when you talk about that, that 30 start plateau, uh, just because of what's been happening, I think we're going to see a record low in baseball this history. So you're going to need all those guys. And I'm going to give you another name. And I think he's up for the challenge. I want to see it. I think, I, I don't know if it's at short. I don't know if it's at second. Pender? I think Chad Pender, this is his time. I think this is like the opportunity. Uh, you know, I don't know if Billy and David thought of him as an everyday guy back then. But I think things have changed, and especially with the way he finished 2020. I, I, I think this is Chad Pender's time to claim a regular spot in the lineup. At shortstop? Or second. I'd be tempted. Well, everybody knows I'm a big Pender fan. You know that, and I know you yep. are too. And he he was great during the postseason. And I think he's a gold glove right fielder, but the A's have Piscotty out there, especially if Steven is healthy. I think he can really bounce back. And he fills in he fills in fine at third base, but the A's have Chapman over there. So I would be I would be tempted to say to Pinder, okay, Chad, you're gonna be our regular shortstop and play every day. No matter what, right-handed pitcher, left-handed pitcher, no platoon. Now you might maybe you'd rest him against a really tough righty. If he's played a lot, you'd get a left-handed bat in there, but I think he could be an above-average offensive force at short. Now, he was drafted as a shortstop. Uh, he's not going to dazzle people with his glove, but if he can play average short and how much he means to the ball club when he's out there. The other thing, Chris, too, we talk about positions. With all the shifting, as you know, <laughs> how, how many times do you actually talk about your shortstop being like a pure shortstop and playing there against every hitter? And you've also got Chapman over there who can really help him out and really help Simeon out uh, with Matt's range. So I think he makes whoever he plays next to better. So I'd be kind of tempted to think about Pender opening uh, the season at short. And, and I brought this up to Dave Feldman. I brought this up on the postgame show. It's still a beef. When you put your shortstop out in right field and someone grounds out to him and he's in right field, and I'm marking it 6-3, it's just wrong. He's not a shortstop. He's now a right fielder. <laughs> That's right. And you got to put 6-3 in your scorebook or some kind of notation to say, well, it was 6-3, but he was in right field when he caught the ground ball. What about the Manny Machado when he was in foul territory down the right field line? He's a third baseman catching a ball down the right field line? I mean, come on. Well, what about when Matt Olson comes up and they play four outfielders against him? 
<laughs> so yeah. if he pops out to the short, uh, or let's just say the shortstop goes out. So is it just he pops out to the shortstop, but it's in left center? I guess. I don't know. You know, doing the games off the TV monitors last year, we were making it up as we went anyway. So I'm not sure the scorebooks were totally accurate to begin with. There's you know, some little infielders that are still out there too, and you might be able to get in a free agency or maybe a trade. And I go back to what I said. I, I don't think the A's are done. And the other thing too would be the bullpen, right? Yeah. I mean, you have you have to restock that thing with maybe two or three or four more guys even right now, wouldn't you think? Yeah. I mean, there's a, and there's over a, what they say, there's over 90 pitchers still out there, something like 90 to a hundred pitchers that are out there. So there's plenty of guys, by the way, I, you know, you're in Vegas right now. You probably didn't get to hear it, but, uh, Ted Leitner is retiring and he was singing your praises, by the way, the longtime voice of the San Diego Padres. And, uh, you know, you know, He's had a long-time relationship with Billy Bean, but old Teddy Ballgame was showing you some love. Oh, that's really sweet of him. I didn't hear it, but I passed along my best to him when, when you talk to him again. And because of interleague play, we haven't – I didn't have a chance to spend a lot of time around Ted over the years, but the last two or three times the A's played the Padres, I really made it a point to spend some time with him. He is really a nice man. And what did he do, like 40 years for them? Oh. He was – he was on the air like three or four, like I think almost 40 years. Well, he he he's he had been on television since I was born in San Diego. <laughs> and, and when was when was that exactly? 1972. So he okay. did the sports for years, Padres, he did Chargers, he did Clippers. He's still gonna do San Diego State. But I think, you know, Ken for us and and you know. More recently for me, now that I get to know more of these guys, uh, you know, if you're able to have that full career and get out clean, it, it, it's a special career. The other thing with Ted is he's had some pretty serious health issues that thank goodness he's bounced back from. And I think that could weigh on you a little bit and also maybe influence your decision to get out of doing baseball every day or at least cut back. And he is going to work as an ambassador for the Padres, right? He will not be yeah. completely missing in action. He'll do some things for them. So uh, I'm thrilled for Ted. He had his own unique way of doing play-by-play, -play, but he made a huge impact in San Diego. And like I said, everybody that's come in contact with him uh, has said he's really one of the nicer people in our business. Well, I, and, and I think about what it, what all you guys have had to go through. I mean, I know it's not digging ditches. I get it. But still, um, calling games off monitors, at times you can't even see the games. I mean, there's been technical problems. Um, you guys have really grinded and you've done a and, and, and for us as the fans, as we, you know, listen to every game and it's just, you guys have really done a terrific job in some really tough times. It hasn't been easy. Well, I appreciate that. But I think in, in, it was challenging while the team was on the road during the games off, doing the games off the monitors, Chris, but I think in some ways it also is a little bit, it was a little better than I anticipated. The home games were easier to do than. I thought they would be. And I think one reason for that was kind of, it's, it's weird to say this was the piped in crowd noise. I think the fact they had that and we could hear it in our headset gave us a little boost of energy. So it wasn't just completely silent and dry there. And I think for the, for the listeners, it kind of sounded like a regular game. 
Oh, I can tell you through A's cast or 960. I mean, I, you, you it, it sounded like a regular game. Um, obviously, when we're watching on television, I think the cardboard cutouts made TV, wouldn't you say, a little better? It was like fun. And, you know, you had you had all these different crazy cutouts. And we had some really fun ones where you had Charlie O the mule down the right field line. I mean, I mean, you made the you know, Dave Cavill and his staff made the best of it. And you had all those old A's players from like a hundred years ago down the left field <laughs> lines. Here's some of the Hall of Famers. So the other thing that really helps is if the ball club you're broadcasting for has a good year, because it really helps sustain your energy during the season. That happened with the A's. And I think the quality of play was really good last year. I think if you just walked in off the street and didn't know the difference, I think you would say that the players were playing as hard as they would have played even during a normal year. I really felt that way. And I even felt during the postseason, because we didn't know what that was going to feel like, right? I mean, the A's have been in so many postseason series. There was a lot of intensity during the postseason. So the, the there was a, a lot of the tests from that standpoint were passed by baseball last year. Well, you know, Cody and I didn't get to go to the ballpark last year and everything was done from, from our houses. But, yeah, I mean, the White Sox series was super intense. I mean, obviously, down at Dodger Stadium, there's no love loss between the Athletics and the Astros. That was intense. And I, I, I get people who come back at me with, well, the A's haven't won a World Series. But, you know, the A's right now, Ken, trying to go to the postseason for the fourth straight year. I mean, you look at the product they've been putting out on the field. I mean, it's it's been a winning product. And and I got to think that going to be right in the hunt again in, in 2021. 11 postseasons in the last 21 years. It'll be more of a challenge without Simeon. They're really going to miss him. And what he meant to the club on the field and uh, his entire family. I remember when his dad was playing football at Cal and what, what he's meant off the field as well. So So that'll be a challenge, I think, to get past that. But they still have a very good core of, of players coming back. Uh, they have elite players at, at first and third and catcher center field, uh, the outfield Canada's coming off another really good year. Uh, so yeah, I would expect them to be in the mix and I'm sure Bob Melvin feels that way as well, Chris. Well, that's the one thing that, you know, the skipper, he comes to play every day. And that's the one thing I think we've learned and we've really appreciated about yeah, Bob Melvin. It's 27 outs every day, ready to go. I mean, you, you talk to him every day. Well, I got a great Bob Melvin story to duck in for you because he's such a Bay Area guy that the other night, uh, my wife and I were just sitting watching TV at home and I get a text from Bo Mel and the text says, do you get NBA TV? You know, like it's, it's channel 318 out here on the cable, NBA television. I said, yeah, I get it. So I flipped over to NBA TV. Now, Bo Mel was watching and he alerted me to the, to a game that was played in 1970 at the Coliseum, Coliseum Arena between the Cincinnati Royals and the San Francisco Warriors playing at the Coliseum, but they were still the San Francisco Warriors in 70 because it was Bill King and Hank Greenwald doing the play by play. Is the big O in this game? The big O took over. The Warriors like had a 13-point lead in the fourth quarter, and the big O like scored the last 10 or 12 points of the game. You know how Big O could just dominate a game late? He was like the first big guard. Uh he had that kind of presence on the floor. And it was because of 
I think Bo Mel and his fondness for Bill and the great memories that that game brought back for him, uh, because Bo Mel had great uh, longstanding ties to the Warriors back even when he was a kid. So that was a cool kind of, you know, exchange. And we were just exchanging text message texts because something would happen. Bill would say something or Hank would say something. And I get a text from, from Melvin, but his roots in the Bay area go back really deep. You know, when you think of Bill King and when you're doing the job, it's just the job that you do. You know, you work for the Raiders, you work for the Warriors, you work for the A's. Did Bill really know and understand how many iconic games he really called or was it just his job? I think he knew and I think he knew the impact that he had on other people, Chris, but he, he really was reluctant to acknowledge that I think publicly because he was so self-deprecating. And I think at his, at the core of who he was, he was a broadcaster. I don't think he saw himself as a celebrity, but I think that he, he was aware of the impact that he made and how fortunate too, that he was to be able to broadcast for, three major league teams at the same time and be part of so many historic moments in the history of the Bay area. So, yeah, I think he was aware, but it wasn't something he liked to talk about a whole lot. Yeah. His record. Hank Greenwald would do like the first five or six minutes of the third quarter. These were simulcasts back then. So, and they were great friends and they were great friends until the, the day that Bill died. Yeah. Uh, Bill's record with the Raiders was a little better than mine. Slightly better. You didn't have George Lander, though. <laughs> I had some rough seasons, my friend. Yeah, you did. I know. <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing that – and you're the same way. You like to downplay it. But like I say, you're the voice of some. You're the voice of the A's. You've got these generation generation of kids who grow up listening to you. They're, they're you know, it, it's a huge responsibility that you guys like to deflect, but it's real – of, of what you mean to so many different fans. Well, and I, I appreciate that, but I also appreciate the faith that the A's have shown in me to tell their story. And they've been really good about allowing me to do that. So I haven't had too many moments where I was looking over my shoulder, wondering what they were thinking. So all this kind of goes hand in hand. I've had great broadcast partners, as you know, and people like yourself have been great friends. So um, I'm really thrilled that it's worked out. Um, this is going to be my 26th season with the A's. And who would have thought that, right? When I was when I was doing single-A games up in Roner Park in 1981. God, when were you with the White Sox? My first year with the White Sox was 92. Wow. 92, 3, 4, and 5. Wow, it's been a great career, no question. I, You know what? I can speak for the fan base. We're all just looking forward to, to listening to you and Vinny get back on the air and with Ray and Fossey. I, I, I don't know exactly when everything's going to go down. It's going to go down. Hopefully we'll have some more answers soon, but uh, I think the good news is that baseball is committed to playing the full season and we're not uh, that far away from having you guys back on the air. And Fossey, of course, is always a big part of our spring training coverage from uh, the Valley of the Sun as well. Fossey would be ready to go right now. Fossey, if they told him that baseball was 365 days a year, he would say, when can I sign up for that? Well, you guys mean so much to us. I take one day off last year. I worked 59 games out of 60. 
what are you doing taking a day off? Come on. You don't need a day off. Oh, he's the he's the workhorse. Well, you know, we we and I know he was close to you and, and Dick Callahan meant so much to all of us. And, you know, we're just out of time. We want to keep everybody safe and keep you guys safe and 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 uh, keep keep our A's fan, our, our A's family rolling. That's a big thing right now, I think, for all of us. Yeah. And I know you, you talk quite a bit about Dick Callahan on your show Friday and you were very close to him, as I think we all were. And I know you've got to go. One of the great pleasures for me during the season, or even when I was up in the Bay Area during the off season, the dinners with Callahan. Because when you went out to dinner with Dick in all the towns up and down the 680 corridor and out 24 and out that way, he knew everybody. He was like the mayor of all those little towns out there. So going out to dinner with Dick was one of the, the great joys of being in the Bay Area. Well, we miss you. Be safe and uh, can't wait to hear you on the air. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you then. Well, it's great to see you. How, how is everything in Indiana? It's uh, it's white right now. Very white, uh, very cold. The wind is howling, but uh, feel good to be home and, and settling in with the family. So congratulations on a fantastic career. You're going to you're going to retire. What made you say, you know what, I'm hanging it up and I'm not going to play this season? Um, honestly, just perspective and stepping back and and thinking about it, praying about it, um, and kind of thinking about my goals in life and and where I'm headed, what I want to do. And once I kind of gained that perspective, baseball was, you know, it kind of run its course. And I know with the role I've had, um, kind of a a backup type catcher, uh, the opportunities were you know few and far between. Um, so I could sign on probably somewhere and do a minor league deal and grind it out and try to make it back up there, but it just didn't seem worth it to miss the family. And um, I'm pretty proud of the run I had and the accomplishments I've, I've been able to, to accomplish. And um, I, I was, I'm at peace, you know, stopping right now and calling quits. Well, that's, that's the way to do it. And, and I'm sure your knees and your golf game are going to thank you for this decision also. <laughs> yeah, my body feels pretty good for stepping away. Uh, I'm, I'm turning 33 in a week. Um, if you asked me 10 years ago, you know, I, I wouldn't have expected to kind of feel this good stepping away from catching that many years. So very thankful. Yeah, yeah. And there were times that you, you grinded with injuries. Yeah, that's that's the life. That's the life of a catcher and um, nothing major. But, you know, just catching at that level, you know, you're going to have nagging things that just don't really go away until you quit. And I think about your time with the A's, you know, the one thing that, you know, you like to tell a lot of different players is that when you come to the A's, it's the land of opportunity. You are going to get a shot to play. And I think about what you did in 2019, you had a fantastic year for the A's. What was, what was it like your time playing for the green and gold? Well, like you said, land of opportunity. I, I felt like, uh, I did get a shot with the white Sox. I didn't really capitalize on that shot. And, uh, that change of scenery was big for me to come over and just get plugged right in. I know we didn't have a lot of success in those first, first few years, but um, that playing time was huge and just knowing, okay, here's your role. You're going to play, you know, X amount of games a week. You're going to hit lefties. And that just gave me some, some comfort, some, some confidence 
and uh and just kind of i was able to focus on my role and and just and just play you know i think uh i always have the tendency to overperform and try to do too much and be a hero and and that's never worked out for me ever uh so to just kind of have that role defined and i i kind of felt like I, I blossomed as a player there in oakland and and you know playing for bob melvin was was amazing uh that staff all the players i got to play with there um it was it was a fun ride yeah i gotta think for you catchers the fact that bob is such a good communicator the fact that he did play uh, behind the dish in his big league career. He, he kind of knows everything that you're going through, whether at that time you're starting or, or, or you're backing up. What was that communication like between you and Bob? It was excellent. Um, he had a lot of advice early on and how to handle that role and, and to just relax, honestly, because you play once or twice a week. You feel like those at bats are kind of weighted on whether or not you get to play more the next week or play less. And, you know, he assured me, you know, just, just stay the course and, and trust the process, just relax. And when I call your name, like get in there and just play and have fun. And he was really good at communicating when I was playing. Cause he knows that role's tough. You know, it kind of gets sprung on you, you know, early on it was, Hey, votes dealing with this. He needs a day, you know, you got to jump in there today or something like that. But he was good at letting me know, you know, a day in advance or, or giving me uh before the series, hey, they're throwing a lefty on Saturday. So, and just to, you know, have that scheduled out and him with that communication, it, it took a lot of pressure off. And when you, when you think you come to Oakland, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a different deal. You got drummers, you got flags, you got, you got, you got a really passionate uh, fan base. What was it like playing for these fans? It was awesome. And, and you know, that they, they don't have a great reputation for really packing that stadium, but, you know, you go other places that are packed, you know, 80% of the fans are just there to watch it and like, you know, be a part of an experience and watch a game. Um, you know, the other 20% are actually fans of the team or players, but you know, the people that show up in Oakland, like they're, they're in the game, they understand it, they're fans. Uh, they like to make it personal, you know, they'll say good luck or, you know, great game the other day. And we've gotten multiple gifts, you know, when my wife, uh, gave birth to both my kids. We got gifts from fans and, <laughs> and cards and special notes. Like it was, it was really cool. When you look back at your A's career, where, what, what are your, some of your favorite moments? Oh man. Um, well, obviously the career day in Pittsburgh in 19 was really fun. Uh, I was thinking about the, the fires, no hitter the other day. And, uh, just the, the, chain of events that led up to that the light tower going out and being on on west coast time all my family back home they didn't want to wait it out you know it's it's 12 30 when we're starting the game and you know they're like, we're going to bed we'll talk to you tomorrow and then he throws a no hitter and i get to catch it and all the messages i got the next day were just hilarious like you know the one time i missed the game and i'm not watching it's a no hitter and it was that that was, that was just a fun game in general yeah i mean you look back on that day and you got all the powers of B are out on the field and the light tower is out and you're going, we're not going to play this game. And then it's like the one no hitter, like a lot of people are never going to remember it. Right. There wasn't that many people in the stands. Right. Uh, <laughs> MLB network had already done their post game coverage. So they didn't talk about it till the next morning. It was, it was so bizarre. 
And just to think, though, Mike Fires, two no-hitters, both in interleague play. Wow. That's he's he's got some bizarre stats himself but uh yeah that was that was quite the experience and and you know how the the energy level the intensity kind of gets sucked out of you after a delay or you're kind of waiting around you do, you're you're halfway mentally checked out like oh they're gonna they're gonna bang the game we're not gonna play and then oh now we're playing so it just kind of like it was a smooth game the whole way through and and pretty light and then it just you know, built and built up to the climax of the last inning and, you know, throwing that no hitter was awesome. You know, I like how you say, you know, things change in life and you get new goals and you get new purpose. So since you've announced your retirement, what, what, what do you think this, this next stage in your life is all about? Well, I mean, since being in professional baseball, I've kind of had a side hobby of just home improvement projects and I've done some extensive stuff to our homes and, and just loving to fix things and build stuff, a uh, little woodworking. Um, I'm kind of leaning towards diving into real estate and flipping some houses, um, maybe getting into some rental properties or something like that. And and I, I'm, a, I'm a busy bee. I, I can't sit and hang out. You know, my wife, she's starting her nursing career finally um, after the decade-long sacrifice of just being a stay-at-home mom. And, and I have an immense amount of respect for her, uh, for everything she's done for me and to kind of be able to step back and let her pursue her career and, and back her up and be there for the kids so she can, can pursue that. And I'll, I'll find my things on the side to do and stay busy. I can tell you my handyman, uh, was an electrician for one of the tech companies. He retired. And he says he's working more now than when he was working for the tech company because everybody needs a handyman. So if you want to stay busy and he makes good money doing it, I don't know. It'd be pretty cool to have your handyman be a guy who played in the big leagues for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I love just doing, I mean, I don't care what it is. If it's something small, I love to find a problem and fix it. And I find, you know, immense pride and joy in that. So it's right up my alley. And with everything that's going on with COVID and the testing was brutal and uh, everything, it, it, does that make it a little easier too to walk away? Cause we're still de dealing with this. Well, I, I kind of call it my practice retirement being home for part of the summer this last season. It was, uh, I don't know if you could have drawn it up to have a little kind of a buffer there to kind of ease into retirement. I don't know if I'd have played 162 games and then called a quits, you know what that would have felt like. So um, and I think that 2020 as a whole, just put a lot of things into perspective of, you know, what's important and some of the things that really dominate your life can be taken away in a heartbeat. And, and then you're just, you're left with, you know, your family and making sure people are safe. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, that did have part and led me to kind of hang it up at this point, but, uh, it was it was a strange year. You know that. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, pitchers and catchers are going to report coming up here pretty soon. What's the one thing you think you're really going to miss? I miss like obviously the elite competition and, and kind of turning on that adrenaline, turning on the intensity. Because baseball is full of those little moments where. You know, you get three at bats in, in three and a half hours when you're in the nine hole, which is where I seem to hit all the time. And you just have to ramp it up for 
15, 20 seconds, you know, for a pitch and, and just to be able to turn that on. I mean, that's, I have a lot of pride in that ability and, and competing on a field with, with family. I feel like a lot of the guys I played with were family and the relationships you build. And I think that had a lot to do with the five years I was in Oakland, you know, seeing the success kind of turn over the younger group came in, but we still had some of the older guys that were there for the, the bad times. And we just meshed as a group and it, it elevated everyone's game. And th that was the, the most enjoyment and just playing alongside your family at a high level and, and beating people and, and having success. Well, I can say this to the fans. For me personally, I thank I thank you for all the times you did my pregame show. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And you know, you're part of the A's family. We're always going to be rooting for you. Let's catch up later on. But congratulations on, on a fantastic career, and uh, it's going to be nice. Spend a lot of time with the wife and kids, and as your kids grow up in front of your own eyes. Yeah, it's going to be great. I appreciate everything. Thank you. And and and, and like I. I told you off the air, like earlier today, I talked to Ray Fossey fast. He goes, you tell him I said hello, because, you know, that was the A's. It's it's just different with the coaching staff, the players, the broadcasters. It's just a really great group. So uh, you will be missed, my friend, but be well and stay, stay warm and stay safe. All right. I appreciate it. You do the same. Thanks. Well, the Super Bowl is right around the corner and himbo. Bring it on. Cody and I are ready. <laughs> I you you have no idea how large this Google Doc is of Super Bowl trivia. I spent like half of last week putting this together. I've done a bunch of different shows, um, so I, and I'm having I'm having a good time with it. So has anybody um, at ESPN been good at it? No, uh, people are people have been complaining constantly that my questions are just too hard. And my opinion is that their Super Bowl knowledge isn't does not suffice. So I guess well, I guess we'll see if it's a me problem or a you problem here. You know why, right? Why is that? Because we're always drinking during the Super Bowl, so we don't always remember. <laughs> you don't remember specific events that happened 35 years ago in like, my like, medium bucket of questions. Like, seriously, if you think about how old I am, you know, you first started drinking, like, in the early 90s. So anything from the early 90s on, like, before there, but, you know, in the 80s, I was a kid, so yeah. I'll probably be better at that. But, yeah, come on, we've all had Super Bowl parties, and you yeah. know how they go. You're, you're for, drinking yeah. all day. As far as you're concerned, the Cowboys are still good. Like that's that's the, that's the kind of that's the kind of Super Bowl fan you are. So what I have is I have bucket. I have three buckets here. I got an easy, Sorry, a medium. Yeah, seriously, he's Aikman's still in his prime. As far as you're concerned, um, easy, medium, and hard. I got three buckets. All right. if, if you get an easy one right, I'll advance, and we'll see if you can get three in a row. No one's been able to get three in a row yet. Um, so I'll start with you, bud. Which player has caught the most passes? from Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. This is not a single Super Bowl. All of his Super Bowls, who has caught the most passes from Brady? Cody, who was the guy that played both ways for him? That was uh, Troy Brown. Troy, I'm going Troy Brown. That is incorrect off the top. Cody, uh, an opportunity what, for you to steal, my friend. Uh, would it be Dion Branch? Deion Branch is correct. Nice. So, so Deion Branch and, and Julian, Julian Edelman both have 24 catches from Brady in the Super Bowl. So either answer would have been correct. Uh, let, me, let me see if I can find. So you, you guessed Troy Brown. Troy Brown had 16. He's like sixth or seventh on this list. A respectable guess, but not off to a I thought Gronk was too chalk. I couldn't go there. Gronk is third at 23. So your your process was right. I was being sneaky, but not quite as sneaky as you thought. Cody, 
Uh, here's this one's for you, kid. Who is the youngest coach to win a Super Bowl? The youngest head coach to win the Super Bowl. Oh boy! Um, Come on! <laughs> I, Look I, at my hat. Look at I, my I hat. was gonna say I was gonna say Madden, but I don't know if that's right. <laughs> uh, Madden is not right. Chris, you want to you want to snipe this one? John Gruden. So John Gruden is incorrect. He actually what? held. So John Gruden held the record until <laughs> Mike Tomlin broke it. So he. Uh, so Gruden and Tomlin are the only head coaches to win the Super Bowl before turning forty. But Tomlin did so at thirty six. Gruden, I believe, was thirty nine at the time. All right. That's, a good guess. That's not a good yeah. guess. Oh, as, as, that's as good a guess. We're already listen. We're already doing moral victories here. So this is going. This is going. This is. We're doing just great. All right. Um. Uh, let's see here. Back to you, Chris. Uh, which are the only teams to meet three times in the Super Bowl? The only three-time Super Bowl matchup head-to-head. Uh, Cowboys Steelers. Cowboys Steelers is correct. 75, 78, 95. Nice and quick on the trigger there. Cody, Tom Brady has completed 256 passes in his Super Bowl career. Only one other quarterback has more than 100. Who is it? Joe Montana. Joe Montana is incorrect. Chris, do you got an do you, do, you, do you have a do you have an inclination here, my friend? Well, I was going Montana. So you're a, a, a quarterback who's completed over a hundred passes in the Super Bowl. Yeah, he and Brady are the only ones to do this. He has completed one hundred and three career passes in the Super Bowl. So Montana, it can't be Bradshaw. Montana is is tied for third on this list with 83. Obviously a good guess if he played in four. Uh, I'm going to go four. I'll go John Elway. So John Elway is sixth with 76. The correct answer, which surprised me, and that's why I put it in my note, is Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, 103 completions in four Super Bowls, although in those, he threw three touchdowns against five interceptions. You wow, remember, I he, he, never he, he, No, no, you wouldn't think so. Uh, but he, you remember, he, he, he wants to, lost to. So there's a lot yeah. of opportunity. A lot of opportunity there. Or whose turn is it here? I lost track of where we are. Um, I think this was okay. This is this is for you, Chris. Um, which state has produced the most Super Bowl winning quarterbacks? I did this by birth state. Which so which state has produced the most Super Bowl uh, winning quarterbacks? The the hometown of Commander Cody, uh, the great state of Pennsylvania. That is incorrect, Cody. An what? opportunity. Yeah, Pennsylvania tied for a second with four. This state has produced five, Cody. California. California's correct. Um, so so Brady, Rogers, Dilfer, Aikman, and Jim Plunkett, all born uh, in the state of California. Jim Plunkett, the greatness of Oak Grove High School, San Jose, California, and the pride of Stanford. <laughs> yes, and probably a, a should-be Hall of Famer when you compare him to the likes of Eli Manning, who's likely to get there someday. At least I think he compares favorably to Eli. Because what? Pennsylvania's, it's uh, Montana... Marino, Namath. There's one other. Was it Theismann? I had the I had the list previously, not in front of me, but I but, but Ohio also had four, and Louisiana had four because um, Louisiana the had the, Man- the Mannings and and a, and a couple others also. Fun question. All right, Cody. Among all Super Bowl champions, which owned the worst regular season record? The worst regular season record among all Super Bowl champions. I feel like it was a nine and seventeen, but I um, was it was it Washington back in the day? 
Uh, that's incorrect, but it was a nine and seventeen. Chris, do you recall who this was? Uh, that'd be the Raiders. No, this was the this was the twenty eleven Giants. The twenty eleven Giants, uh, were nine and seven. They're the only team. I mean, since since we went to sixteen games, they're the only team to win fewer than ten and win the Super because Bowl. Because the, Ra- the Raiders were the first ever wild card team to win the Super Bowl, um, and that Giants team, which was so amazing, they beat Tampa on the road, Dallas on the road, and Green Bay on the road. They won three straight <laughs> road games. Do they and remember because they almost beat the Patriots on Monday Night Football? No, that's 07. You're thinking that's that, that 07? Yeah, the, the 07 team. You're thinking, I mean, you, you had this right. You just uh, swapped the year. The 07 team went 10 and 6. They were much uh, better. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, who was the only player to rush for three touchdowns in a single Super Bowl? Uh, it was that nobody guy who did it for the Redskins against the Broncos. That is incorrect, but you're think, like, your logic is impeccable. You just landed on the wrong guy. Cody, do you know the answer to this? What was that guy's name? Tommy Smith or something like that? Three Timmy rush. Smith. Three Timmy ru- Smith. So, um, Timmy Smith is the answer to the question, who is the only player to rush for 200 yards in a Super Bowl, which is later in my document, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was in my hard bucket. <laughs> now, remember, that's, that's pre-drinking Super Bowl. Sorry, that was in San Diego, by the way. sharp as a tack. You know the yeah. location of Timmy Smith's big day. Cody, do you know the answer to this? Stadium. I, I wouldn't even have a guess because um, I was thinking Thurman Thomas, but it's on him. It's Terrell Davis. Terrell Davis uh, did it. Let's see here. Where was it? In also Super Bowl, in San Diego against the Packers. This, this was Super Bowl 32. Yes, that's right. Very and, well done. And that's the Super Bowl where they let him score the third touchdown. Remember that? <laughs> they let uh, him was- score because of time. Um, I was just a spark in God's eye at that point when you were a, a, a mangy adolescent. Okay. I had, I had money on that game. Uh, <laughs> um, only two colleges have produced three different Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. Can you name either school? Uh, so Kenny Stabler, Joe Namath went to Alabama. I got to yeah. go Alabama's one. Yeah, that's correct. Because uh, yeah, it's Bart Starr also. Starr, Namath, Stabler. Okay. Very well done. One. This other one is a would be a really, really good pull. A really good pull. So three guys went to this school yeah. and won the Super Bowl. Two early guys and one more recent name. This is this would be a heck of a pull. Cal? No. Cody, do you have you have a gut here? You have you have I was gonna say Stanford because of LA and and Plunkett, but no, the answer is Purdue. Greasy Breeze and Lenny Dawson all went to Purdue. <laughs> that's, that's a that's a challenging a challenging question. By the way, truly one of the greatest pictures of all time. So I got a buddy who lives in Kansas City. He's a big Kansas City fan. He sent me the photo. It's a photo of the the. So what? Kansas City won the second or third Super yeah. Bowl. Yeah. It's no, Lenny- they were in it. They were in it against. They lost it. They lost it. So uh, Lenny Dawson halftime is in a metal full folding chair, smoking a cigarette, drinking a Fresca. <laughs> it's like one of the greatest pictures of all time. Well, what do you think? What do you think Mahomes is doing at halftime here? Is he going to be in the hype? Is he going to be in the hyperbaric chamber? He might, hey, be taking, he might be taking a drag. My day's working in the NFL. I'm walking in. Guys are taking IVs. Guys are Lenny Lenny Dawson's. 
smoking a cigarette, drinking a fresca. Outstanding. <laughs> that's that's not like that long ago. Like in the whole in the grand scheme of that stuff, right? Yeah. Like people are gonna look back on us like fifty years from now and be like, what? You guys ate meat? Like, you know, it's gonna be like that kind of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I like I had no idea where where Greasy or Dawson went to school, yeah, but I did get Alabama. I got one of those. I'm gonna give you that one. All right, Cody. Which are the only two teams to enter the Super Bowl undefeated? Uh, Patriots and Dolphins. Correct. Right. The 07 Patriots and the '72 Dolphins. All right. I'm gonna get. By the way, I, I, the the Dolphins are the only team to lose the Super Bowl. They lost to the Cowboys, and then the next year come back and win it. They're the only team to yeah, lose that's the Yeah, Cody, Chris is that, that annoying guy that you play, like, trivia with at the bar who, like, gets the question wrong but then has three more additional <laughs> facts. <laughs> As he finishes in 11th place, but he's managed to name 37 state capitals. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, who is the winning – this is a tough one. Who is the winningest coach in the Super Bowl era without a Super Bowl appearance? This guy won 205 games in his career, including the playoffs, but never appeared in the Super Bowl. So he won the most games, but he never was in the Super Bowl. Never got there. Jesus. You, you'll if you if you don't get it right, and I tell you the answer, Go ahead, you will, Cody. I, you'll kick yourself. Marty Schottenheimer. Marty Schottenheimer is correct. Marty Schottenheimer. Marty won. Ball. Yeah, 205 games, including the playoffs, but never – I'm not sure he even coached in a conference championship now that I think of it. Um, Cody, there are two teams in Super Bowl history that are 0-4 and 4 in the game. Those, te- those two teams have the worst record all time in the Super Bowl. I, Which teams? Uh, the Bills. The Bills is correct. And I'll go that's – the, That's the easy one. Um, Bengals. The Bengals is – Incorrect. The Bengals are 0 2. Chris, the Vikings are correct. The Vikings also 0 4 in the Super Bowl. 0 1 with Joe Cap. 0 3 with Fran Tarkenton. All right. Let's stay here in this medium bucket. It'd be interesting to see how many games Bud Grant won as a head coach and never won a Super Bowl. He won a ton of games. He won a lot of games. He had some really good teams and he was there for a long time, was he not? Yeah. Let's see here. So Bud, Bud Grant. Bud Grant ranks 17th all time in wins at 158. He's 158, 96, and five. Five ties. Um, yeah, that's 17th all time. That's just in the regular season. But Bud Grant, though, went 10 and 12 in his postseason career. Four conference championships. All right. Um, which is the only franchise to win a Super Bowl in four different decades? I would have to go Steelers. That's wrong, Cody. Do you know this? It's that or the Cowboys. Yeah, I was going to go Cowboys, actually. No. No? This is a fun question. The, the only team to do this was the Giants, believe it or not. Very like, – that's a sort of a bizarre one, but those teams clump theirs together a little bit. The Giants space theirs out. Oh, yeah. Decades. The 80s, 90s. The... Oh, 07 and then 11. Yeah. You get the credit, you know, you get credit for that, so – um, uh, yeah, that's a I fun one. No? Thought about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, who is the only quarterback to be intercepted five times in a single Super Bowl? All right. How about this? If I pull this out, Stan Humphreys. <laughs> no, but that no? would have been something else. You should get this right, of all people. Cody, do you, do you know this? 
Uh, I I was literally thinking San Humphreys, but I'm gonna go. Um, <laughs> No, it's going to something anyone has ever said. Uh, <laughs> oh, you remember how bad the Niners beat the Chargers? How yeah, about how about uh, Rich Gannon? Yes, Rich Gannon, five picks, five picks. The, uh, oh, the 2002. Tears up my heart right there, my good, good friend. Rich Gannon. Good pull. Okay, Tom Brady. Feel free to stop me whenever you want to talk about baseball. By the way, Tom Brady is one of two quarterbacks to throw for 400 yards in a single Super Bowl. He's actually done it twice. Who is the other? Steve Young. Steve Young is incorrect. Cody. Wow. So what was the question? Brady's thrown for 400 yards twice. Who's the other to do it once? Who is the only other player, quarterback in Super Bowl history, to throw for 400 yards in a game? Brady has done it twice. He broke this person's record. Stan Humphreys. Boomer Esiason. Boomer Esiason, an interesting <laughs> guess. <laughs> Boomer Esiason. 90th all time. <laughs> single uh, the correct answer is Kurt Warner. So Kurt Warner did that against the Titans. Kurt Warner actually has three of the top six Super Bowl passing yardage totals all to himself. Um, really? Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, let's see here. Uh, what is the largest margin of victory in Super Bowl history? Was that the Niners Chargers? Uh, it's Niners someone else. Oh, oh uh, Niners Bengals. No, Niners someone else. Oh, no, no, Niners Broncos. Yeah, 55 to 10. In New Orleans. Uh, yes, that's the, yeah, you're thinking of that right. Speaking of which, which city has hosted the most Super Bowls? It's either got to be New Orleans or Miami. Uh, I'll go New Orleans. Cody. Qualcomm. <laughs> San Diego. Jack Murphy. Oh, so, uh. so Miami 11. New Orleans, 10. So you're, oh. you're peppering it. Pasadena, 5. And then Tampa, 5, including this year. You guys, are, you guys aren't so bad at this. Um, <laughs> are we better than your ESPN foes? By your ESPN NFL analysts. <laughs> <laughs> just getting drubbed. Just getting drubbed by my, by my, by my spreadsheet. Um, let's see here. Oh, which is the only Super Bowl champion with multiple 1,000-yard rushers? Tough question. Multiple thousand yard rushers. Only one Super Bowl champion can say they did that. It's again during the regular season. Multiple thousand yard rushers. You can get this. I think you can get this, but it's hard. Um so you got running back by committee. Would it be a Bronco team? No. I I don't know. My, my 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 hint will be champagne. Your hint is champagne. Undefeated champagne. The Dolphins. Can you name the backs? Uh, uh, Mercury Zonka Morris and uh, the guy who, who Mercury oh, Morris. Got, yeah. Okay. Yes, Zonka and Mercury Morris. Very well done. Um, <clears throat> which quarterback owns a single game record for passer rating? In a Super Bowl, highest passer rating, and this is not like a minimum one attempt. Like this is, you know, not this is Antoine Randall. <laughs> that would have been something. Yeah, that would have been. I mean, cool. who knows? I mean, I, I'll just I'll I'll go Joe Montana just to be safe. So Joe Montana second. He he had a rating of one forty seven point six. That was Super Bowl twenty four. Someone did, someone one upped him, but you probably have to know this or uh, or remember a legendary game. Was it Steve Young? 
No, Young Young is is six at at one thirty four point eight. Phil Sims, believe it or not, is the all time leader in a single oh. Super Bowl. And that was at the Rose Bowl when he was like twenty four for twenty four or something like that. You're the annoying friend. All right. Yeah, uh, so, yeah he, he he was like almost. He was like almost against the Broncos. Which Super Bowl generated the most combined points? Most combined points. Uh, whatever that Super Bowl was, we're mentioning Kurt Warner. The uh, the no, this is not a Kurt Warner game. No, uh, you think you think in Pittsburgh, Arizona? No, that's not right. Wow, this game generated seventy five combined points. Take the over. It's been mentioned. It has been mentioned so far on our broadcast. Cody. Is it the Chargers 49ers Super Bowl? Yeah, so 49 to 26 ball game, 75 total points. The closest one, I think, and second is the Eagles Patriots. It was a 41 to 33 game. So that would be 74 points. Stan Humphreys rises again. <laughs> Stan Humphreys, just the, the theme of today's, the theme of, uh, of today's event. Um, let's see here. Uh, only two Super Bowl champions won 18 games in that season, including the playoffs. Can you name either of those teams? Again, the, two these teams won the Super Bowl and did so in a season in which they won 18 games, including the playoffs. They both won 18 and won. They went 18 and won? Including the playoffs. Yes, sir. So, so 15 and one teams that, that ran the table in the playoffs. Who the hell was fifteen and one? You you because I know you the Niners should get both of these. I know the Niners went fourteen and two. Um, You're onto something there, but you got to give me a year. You got to give me a year. There's a Niners team on this list, but you got to give me the year. Yeah, I'm gonna say it's the uh, ninety. Would they be ninety four ninety five Niners? No, the eighty four Niners. The nineteen eighty four uh, Niners went and eighteen and one. Team that did it? No. A team the very next year, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> See, I thought you'd get this one right. Oh, the Chicago Bears. So, yeah, the, the eighty-five Bears. Yeah, and fifteen and one. Um, this is a tough. This is a tough one. Uh, the, the likes of which Stan Humphreys would be proud. So Tom Brady will become the second quarterback to start for an AFC and NFC team in the Super Bowl. Who is the first? Ugh, man, this would be something else. Okay, hold on. So. He started for an AFC team and an NFC team in the Super Bowl. Cody seems confident, by the way. Go ahead, Cody. Jay Schroeder. <laughs> no, not Jay Schroeder. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> for how convicted for how convicted that guess was, though, I, I will give you props. <laughs> okay, so let me let me let me think about this. This is an anonymous player historically. Let's see here. Let me check my let me check my I do have a Jay Schroeder database handy. Let me we pop into that one for a moment. Yeah, so just a one-time Super Bowl champ, Jay Schroeder. He did win a game with the Raiders in the 1990 postseason, but they did not advance to the Super Bowl. That was, you know what? A good guess because he went because he went with the, he went with Washington and won a postseason game with the, I, with the Raiders. I, 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 seriously, I don't have a guess. I don't even know a guy that. Po- so uh, uh, let me give you the teams. This is that hard. Okay, so. This, this quarterback, quarterback, the 1970 Cowboys in the Super Bowl and the 1977 Broncos. 
<laughs> oh, oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Is it Strock? Not Strock. Danny it White. Is str- it is not oh, Strock, okay. nor is it Danny White. This is this this is a tough a tough trivia question. But you, I feel I feel like you I feel like you got a name on the tip of your tongue. I I can see him. I just I mean you gotta remember I was a little kid. So this was Craig Morton. Yes, <laughs> Craig Morton. Craig Morton. Um, he, he was Broncos. The '77 Broncos and the 1970 Cowboys. He was actually really really good with Dallas early in his career. Uh, people often forget it. <laughs> yeah, um, he was he was a quarterback before Greasy. Yes. Uh, this is a fun question. Which is the only franchise with multiple Super Bowl wins and no losses in the game? This team is two and zero all time in the Super Bowl, which is considered you know the best record all time in the Super Bowl. Most wins without a loss in the big game. They're a franchise that's they've been twice. They've been twice and never lost. There are there are three one and oh teams. Well, you remember are... the the forty ers used to brag they were four and and they've lost their last two. Yeah, they're five and two now. So the Saints are one and zero, the Jets are one and zero, and the Buccaneers are one and zero. But there is a team that is two and zero all time in the Super Bowl. Two and zero all time in the Super Bowl. So if you just start thinking about it. <sighs> Cardinals have never won. It's not the Niners. It's not the Seahawks because they've lost. I have a guess, but I'll wait. These are both. I'm, I'm asking you to Kansas dig too deep here in terms of the timeline. Kansas, Kansas, Kansas City is two and one. I'm going to go with the elite quarterbacking play of Trent Dilfer and Joe Flacco and the Baltimore Ravens. Very well done. So the Baltimore Ravens are two and zero all time in the Super Bowl. One one by Trent Dilfer. I think he started elsewhere the next season. The other by Joe Flacco, who was then made the highest paid player in the history of the National Football League. Uh, two different ways that can go. Um, this is a fun one. Who is the only Hall of Fame quarterback to win a Super Bowl with the team that drafted him? There will be others added to this list eventually when, you know, with Wait, more induction classes. Who is the only Hall of Fame quarterback to win a Super Bowl with the team that drafted him? Troy Aikman. I asked this question badly. So, what I intended, what I intended to put here was Heisman quarterback, not Hall of Fame quarterback. There are oh. several of those. Oh yeah, I'm about to say, what are you talking about? Joe Montana was drafted by the Niners. Troy Aikman and Roethlisberger. I guess, I guess if I did all these, it was, it was, it was. I was, gonna, I was gonna have a typo somewhere, and that was where that was. All okay, right. so, so he had to win the Heisman. Yeah, that was, that was, that was my question. So, so, um, Roger Staubach is the only. Heisman winner to win a Super Bowl with his draft team, believe it or not. Ooh, wouldn't have got that. That's a that's a tough one, but I think sort of a let, let, it's always fun to run. Let's end on this. I've got one for you. Who's the only quarterback to play on five straight losing Super Bowl teams? The only quarterback to play on five straight Super Bowl losing teams. This is my number one bar question, and no one can ever get it. Is it John Elway? Five straight. Like five consecutive seasons? Five straight Super Bowls. He was on the roster. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I guess it would have to be, it has to be Jim Kelly's backup. 
You're, you're in the right direct. Because remember, he had to have played four straight with Buffalo, and then the next year was the backup to Stan Humphreys when the Chargers lost. I don't know this. Um, this is a great question. Yeah, it is, that is a good would, question. would it be Colts head coach Frank Reich? It's the great Gail Gilbert out of Cal. <laughs> with the backup was a third string quarterback for four straight and then was the backup in San Diego. Wow. He won five straight Super Bowls, got five straight AFC rings, never a Super Bowl ring. Wow. Uh, that, that is a great question. That is a great question. That's a, I mean, it's a very challenge. That would be in my extra hard bucket for sure. But, <laughs> but, 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 one, but one in which I may have been able to gander a guess. Oh, this was great. So yeah, who, are you going with? who are you going with in the game? I like Kansas City to win the game. All right, Himbo, I will uh, keep you updated on my burnt ends to tell you how how it worked out. Oh, be better, and and, and I want that beer and I want that beer can chicken product so I can really impress the in laws this weekend. You will get that today. All right, buddy, take care. <laughs> Later, boys. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 